Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Handling Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for the past decade now. Uh, I can really recommend the place. Uh, it's a place I've invested a lot of my own time and energy into, and they do really beautiful work. Predominantly, they're working with the plant medicine ayahuasca, which probably many people have heard of by now. Um, they're located in the Peruvian Amazon outside the city of Iquitos, about two hours outside in the jungle. That's a really beautiful environment. They offer 12-day retreats in which they hold six different ceremonies. They're working in a lineage of people called the Shipibo people, uh, who have a long line of working with ayahuasca and different medicinal plants. Um, in those six ceremonies, they're working with four different doctors or healers, uh, three different facilitators, um, there's yoga teachers, massage therapists, bone doctors, there's an amazing integration team, an amazing support staff. So it's really just a beautiful environment to go really deeply into this work. Um, they were unfortunately closed during most of the pandemic, but they are now reopened since August. So if you'd like more information about the temple and the work they do and potentially signing up for a retreat, check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, myself and my colleague, Marav Artsy, are continuing to run dietas here in the Sacred Valley of Peru, um, also in Egypt. Um, and the dieta is an amazing chance to go really deeply into this work of plant medicine, this work and, and world of plant medicine. So if that's something that's uh, interesting you or you've thought about doing a dieta, maybe you've listened to some of these podcasts, um, it's a really amazing opportunity to work really deeply with one plant um, in, in the lineages that we've been trained in and the work that we do, uh, also to work with a... Um, uh, a male and a female guide. There's a, a lot of real power in that. Um, so if that's something that's you're you're interested in, um, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and also Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. And again, I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. My guest for today is my friend Paulette. Uh, I met Paulette here in the Sacred Valley. Uh, she's a really interesting woman. Uh, we also have a bit of a similar background. Uh, she's done a lot of work with plant medicines, with ayahuasca. Uh, she works with something called theta healing. Um, and we had a really good conversation. We went pretty long. We, we talked about plant medicines, about her work with theta healing, uh, about her background. Um, we talked a lot about intuition and um, just some really interesting topics. It was a, it was a good conversation. I, I hope you all enjoy it. Um, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really beautiful option. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up. Uh, and with the different tiers, there's different benefits that you get back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. That's a really big help to me to continue to, to make these shows, to, to find the guests, to produce these shows, to edit it, to publish it, all of that. Um, to all of the, the Patreon, the, the patrons, the Patreon supporters, thank you very much. That's a really big help. Uh, there's also the option to direct donate via PayPal um, to all of the people who've done that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Also with YouTube now, there's the option to join the channel. It gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon option, but it's via YouTube. There should be a little join button below the videos. 
Um, and then if you're not able to do that, as always, subscribing to the show is a really big help. Turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that may seem like a really small thing, but that's a, a really big help with the algorithms to get the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, following the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. So I think that's it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Paulette. Running up from the maze. Running up from the you have such a podcasting voice though it's it's good it's probably from too much tobacco (laughs) (laughs) no there's like you have this deep resonance in there just in your voice in general yeah, people always Don't. told me I would be a good uh, hypnotherapist. Oh, you totally would. <laughs> and you, you, like, I also noticed you talk so slow. Like, not that you talk slowly, but your presence, it's like, you're not in a rush. You're just like, there's all the time in the world. Whereas when I'm talking, sometimes I'm like, there's so much I want to say, I got to get it out. <laughs> I think that's one of the good things about these, like, long-form podcasts is it's not, it's not like a time limit. Like, okay, we have 30 right. minutes, we got to get it in. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, cool. Right. I'm aiming for five hours. Just kidding. <laughs> My last one, I'm not joking, it actually went five hours. I'm uh, aiming with, for six hours and a half. With, with, uh, with Kunti. Uh, do you know her? I she, think I've seen her name on the What Any Does group. That's about it. I don't yeah. know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's amazing. Um, she works with Temazgal. She, she runs some in Sachimunai, mm-hmm. really close to here without giving away my location too much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and she works with, uh, with Bufo and, and Combo. Oh, oh um, cool. But she, she's pretty amazing. Mm. She, um, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but certainly being here in the Valley, there's, it seems like everyone is some sort of medicine practitioner. Yeah. But there's very few people who, who I would actually right. entrust myself right. with, and she's, she's one oh, of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, I've never had combo. I've been kind of waiting for the right time of that. Well, if you're ever interested, I, I haven't worked with her, but but I, I would feel, feel good it, yeah. working with her. Okay, yeah. thank you. So it's a little plug for Kunti. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, have we started? I think we've started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is the first one where maybe people are getting a little bit of insight into the pre pre podcast. Oh. oh. Okay. S- speech. Easing in. Yeah. Easing in. I also noticed There's that some things are very there, serious, I'll... like not much like laughter. Is that is that just the a few episodes that I saw maybe or what? does it tend to just go really serious and deep? I think like I was saying, I, you know, like I think whenever we we start to speak about something, again there's these masks that come on in a way. Yeah. And we kind of forget maybe about the the casual aspect of it. Okay. But again, I think that's normal. Like it's when we're put in that role of like speaking about something, you know, it's like, it's like if, if we're doing public speaking or facilitating something, like usually there's an objective, which is like to convey information. 
in a short amount of time. Yeah. So the other stuff kind and of. And you gets, want to be perceived as a person of authority. Also. Which means also, to be serious. Yeah, can be. <laughs> which is not my approach. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think especially in medicine work, uh, yeah. being able to make it light is super important. Yeah. It's super important. Yeah. yeah. I laugh at myself every single day. Yeah. Well, so I. I met you, I don't know when, <laughs> I was trying to think. Oh. I mean, I, I know Marta wrote to me, Marta, who I interviewed, uh-huh. she recommended I speak to you. Um, oh, no, so I know. So I had already met you because we, we did a plant walk yeah. with a lady who I'd love to interview. Me too. Um, Leticia, yeah. who's a local herbalist, yeah. and we both took a, like she does some guided walks with Sandra, who I'm also, I think, going to interview mm-hmm. um, about herbalism, uh, about the, the local plants of the, the Sacred Valley, which was, yeah, super fun. Yeah. And the thing is, I had heard about <clears throat> you, like, through different people. And then yeah. on that day, I didn't know who you were. And you were like, yes, I've been living in Iquitos for many years. And I was like, oh, wow, that's random. But, like, everyone here, everyone in this area seems to be connected uh, through that world and through um, a lot of temple people in yeah, this area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. there's a lot of former temple the way of light people, or current also. Um, but yeah, some of them no longer work there. Yeah. A lot still do work there. I'm just fascinated by how that happened. Like one day I walked out of my door and it was like everyone just showed up in, in this area. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if you know why. You don't need to answer that necessarily. I just find it interesting how, like, a whole set of people kind of somehow decided energetically or consciously, like, oh, this is a good new place to be. Um. Well, I think for a lot of people, I'm a bit different in that way. I mean, ever since I started working at the temple, I I stayed in the jungle. Mm -hmm. I I really like the jungle. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel quite at home there. Um. I mean, even growing up in Virginia, like Virginia's jungle. I mean, it's it's woods, but huh? it's it's pretty it's pretty dense. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, even when we did this workshop in New York recently, yeah. <clears throat> I went with Marav. Who do, have you met, Marav? I've met her briefly. Yeah, I mean, she was super surprised how green it was. Like yeah. she was saying it was more green than the Amazon. Huh. And I think to some degree it can be. Um, huh. I mean, it's like the forests of the East Coast are pretty dense. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. So I always felt really home at the jungle, and I like the jungle. Like some people consider it a harsh environment, which yeah. it can be. I mean, there are a lot. There's a lot of disease there. Yeah. There are, you know, there there's snakes, and but I always felt really comfortable here. I mean, actually, I I think I feel more comfortable in the jungle than I do here in the mountains. Like what? to me, the mountains are pretty intense. The energies of them, like what do you the mean? The energy, the the temperature. Like even yesterday, you know, I walked up to to Concha Concha and I mean, there's no sun up there. It gets really cold. I mean, if you're there overnight, like without shelter, I mean, it's, it's pretty rough. Okay. You could die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas in the jungle, if you're, if you're stranded at night, like you're not going to die. Like you you need to watch out for yourself. (laughs) Right, Um, right, right. But the, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's different. It is. But anyway, so I think a lot of people find the jungle quite harsh, and they find the mountains less harsh. Like, they feel more at yeah. home there. So I think a lot of people, also because of the, the pace of work there, you know, it's pretty intense. Yeah. So people work, like, one workshop, two workshops, and then they leave, and they want to go somewhere else. And I yeah. think that the valley is, like, 
it feels good to a lot of yeah. people. I guess it's like the complete contrast in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Wet, dry, warm, cold. And you get to like enjoy comforts, yeah. which you don't have in the jungle, like stuff. Like, yeah. That's one of the amazing things about the jungle is like you can't have stuff. Like the jungle like destroys uh, everything. Yeah. You know, I did this dieta. I've only been to the jungle like really once for this one dieta. And the ants ate my headphones. Like headphones. Mm-hmm. Like what are they getting out of that? Yeah. So that that was my first kind of wake up to realize like the jungle's very alive and it will take everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like my my tombo, my my little house in the jungle. It's uh, I keep it super clean. There's no there's no exposed food, and there would still be like cockroaches and stuff. And in the beginning, I was like, "What are they eating?" And they just eat anything. Like they'll eat the candles or they'll eat paper. You know, like, yeah. Whatever you have there, they'll they'll go for. An amazing solution I found was cats. Oh, <laughs> cats are the best. Yeah, because they they eat everything, everything. Oh. <laughs> so they keep everything out. Oh. Very smart. Yeah. Can I ask you about the spirit of the jungle? You can. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I'll be able to answer that, but yeah, why not? Sorry. I, I also just want to if, preface all of this because I think uh, we're both used to interviewing people and asking questions. So I think there's going to be a lot of that happening. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I think I'm... And and I've also just started to understand your mental map a little bit from <laughs> listening to your interviews and the ways that you ask questions and things like that. And I think we approach things in a similar way where it's mm. like, okay, we have, say, like this tapestry of information that we seem to have collected through a lot of different experiences and asking people questions. And then like by just kind of seeing maybe where there are holes in our in our areas where we may, might not understand something, then it's like, okay, let's try to fill that hole almost or, or find other layers of things to, to kind of make this tapestry more whole or more complete in our, in our understanding. At least this is how I, I've been perceiving um, how you think, which is, I think, similar to how I think. And I don't know how other people think and how they approach collecting information over time, but that's just an observation, which may or may not be right. Yeah. Totally. I I mean, even when I started, I I didn't think I would be learning as much as I have from the podcast because most of the people I interview are people I know. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of already know Mm -hmm. in a way what they're thinking, or at least I think I do. (laughs) Um, But even just like hearing people's stories is pretty amazing because that's that's it's a very rare thing where you sit down and you're like, tell me your life story. Right. (laughs) And uh, just seeing kind of commonalities, how people come, what people, because that's another thing, like really sharing like what people have found. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for me, all of these paths, something that's always fascinated me is that they are pointing to something very similar. And it's been something interesting seeing like how people's insights tend to be very universal in a way. Mm. Like they come at them in different ways, but Mm -hmm. eventually they're moving towards something very different vectors that point to the same thing, essentially. Mm Yeah. And and that was a big that was a big part of creating this podcast was to to share that because I think there is so much what's the word disinformation or misinformation uh-huh. there's some difference between the two I don't know. Um maybe <laughs> yeah. misinformation, yeah. Um and yeah, I think it's really important to to have people share that. Mm-hmm. Especially as this work starts to 
to expand, yeah. which it is very rapidly. Yeah. And definitely moving more, I think, towards like a clinical setting, mm-hmm. which has its benefits, but it, it has, I think, some considerable drawbacks too. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the people that you've been interviewing, and also if I think back about my experience, I've been reflecting as I've been listening to some of your interviews about like how I got to whoever I seem to be at this point in time. And there's just so much experimentation, like self-experimentation and trial and error. You know, like say like facilitators, like, I don't know, when you started, was there a sort of protocol of like, this is how you facilitate um, and that's going to become more of a thing. And it's like at the beginning stages, someone had to decide this works, this doesn't work, um, this approach for this kind of person, you know, mm-hmm. Um and uh, it's just interesting to kind of navigate as it's starting to become something a little more solid, this entire field of working with plant medicines, and not just plant medicines, but also, um, I guess, spirituality in general. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading Michael Pollan's book. Um, I don't know, maybe you know the name. It was the one he wrote recently about it has something in the mind in the title. I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah. it was basically his journey about beginning to learn about uh, mm. psychedelics, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know that that's necessarily the best word, but um, <clears throat> but he was talking about how in a lot of these clinical settings, people are using, and I forget, it's called like, I don't know, some sort of handbook that, that's become like a standard mm-hmm. that was set like in the 70s when people were doing a lot of this work, especially with LSD. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because reading this, it was very much a handbook of, of like you said, like mm-hmm. how I think we and a lot of people do facilitate. Um, so I think they were they were coming to similar conclusions. I think potentially one of the the downsides of that, like with the maps training, is like they, they've they've just done amazing research with MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the statistics are two out of three people were cured of their PTSD, which is amazing. Like no pharmaceutical, no no other therapy in general has had those kind of results. Right. Anything even near that, right. like even even touching on that. Um, but with that, they they don't require that the practitioner experiences MDMA. They, they encourage it, but it's not required. Oh. But they give them like this set of tools, which are really valuable. Like mm-hmm. this is how you work with a patient. This is what you say. This is what you don't say. Mm-hmm. This is how much you intervene. This is, you know, mm-hmm. and I think those things are really valuable, but it's still not the same. You know, it, there's a difference when you've had that experience mm-hmm. and you tell someone that, like, even though it's a script and it's the same words, right. it's a much different place when, when that's coming from like a lived experience that yeah. you've had versus like, Oh no, it's going to be okay. Right. I hope it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's this line, um, that I got from my husband. I learned a lot from him. Maybe you should interview him, but, um, mm. it's, uh, you can't guide someone to where you haven't been before. Um, mm. and I think that that's. Maybe true. I don't know. Yeah. I think it is. At least in the essence, because I think that's also an important distinction is, is like, for example, if I'm working with someone who's been raped. Right. Like, obviously, I don't want to experience that. Mm-hmm. You know, luckily, knock on wood, I, I haven't. Um, 
but like, what is that person going through? What are the emotions? What are the thoughts? What are the, the patterns, the beliefs, the, the, the resonance of that? And I think in the essence of that, that is something universal. So if we can find that in our own lives and then see, you know, the, the doubt, the shame, the, 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 the trauma that arises from that, without necessarily having done the exact experience ourselves, can we draw on like what those universal principles are mm-hmm. and then guide someone through that? Somehow this is coming up to share, which is, um, I haven't shared publicly about this, but um, it was a time that I was almost raped. Um, And this was in 2004. Um, So, um, and it's it's somehow relevant to what you're saying, not exactly directly, but um, somehow I feel like I want to share it. Um, So basically, uh, I was studying abroad in Africa, in uh, Namibia and Botswana, and then spent some time... Uh, with a friend for a month or so in South Africa and then Mozambique. Um, and for like the two months before going to um, this study abroad program, it was through my school, um, phone away. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, uh, we both, me and this friend, we both did um, ripe cra- rape crisis counselor training um and then volunteered being on like a crisis line um for um, that time period before um, we were going to study abroad and um through the training uh we learned about the experience we heard so many people uh having these experiences the statistics the extremely high uh likelihood that that will happen to a woman in their in in uh, women's lives um, in, in in those countries specifically or just this in was in atlanta georgia <clears throat> oh, um wow. yeah and so i don't know if the statistics were uh, for the u.s it, it probably was um it was something like one in three something very high um and it was um interesting to go through that experience and also to be in in that support position um, but having never had that experience myself, you know. Um, and then fast forward a couple months later when we were in Mozambique, um, we were on this beach and um, basically um, a guy grabbed me and another guy with a machete had my friend and he uh, dragged me to the ground and kind of wrestled me. Um, but I was like, you know, you've seen me in jujitsu. Like, I have a strong base. Like, I can kind of let myself not be thrown around too easily. Um, And I just had this, like, moment where it just felt like everything was happening in slow motion. Um, And I think when people come to these kinds of crisis moments, it's like people either react with the fight or flight kind of thing. But, um, you know, there's there's a fight, flight, uh, fawn, and I think another F that's missing, by the way, is feel. Um, and I'll, we can get there later. But in this moment, it was like, I was just so present. I wasn't trying to resist what was happening. I was just kind of watching myself be in the situation. And the dialogue in my head was like, well, you know, you've done this, uh, the counselor training, so you know exactly what to do after this happens. You know, um the things you can do to ground yourself. You know that you can get through it. You've helped people to get through it. So, 
you'll be fine. And so that was, that was the dialogue in my head in this sort of state of acceptance of like, okay, this is, this is happening, you know, happens to one in three women. This is, I guess, what's going to happen to me. But then I had this moment where I was on the ground and he was all groping me and, and saying things. Um, and I just felt like this is, this is not how this story plays out. And I was just like, this is not going to happen. And I just had this like really deep, resolute feeling of like, this is not going to happen right now. And this like certainty that I can't uh, put into words. And I just like turned around, looked him in the eye. And for some reason I said, um, do you believe in God? And I don't know where that came from, um, but that's what I said. Um, and, and when I looked into his eyes in that moment, I felt like I was seeing beyond the layers of darkness, beyond what he seemed to be wanting to do to me, even though he said it, I, I was seeing beyond that. I was seeing who he really is beyond that. And to me, I believe that underneath all of the layers and all of the actions that are not right is that spark of God. I really believe that. And I feel like when I was looking at him and saying that, I was choosing to see that. <laughs> um, understanding with compassion that like the situation that he was in, he's probably, you know, if the guy had a machete, he was probably working in the coconut fields making less than $2 a day, you know. And here come these tourists wandering in, in their town and like all the, all the anger and all the emotions that, that must have accumulated in his life. It's like seeing that with compassion and knowing that that's not who he is. That's just the experience that he's had, you know, whether that is his experience or not. I don't know. But in that moment that I said that, it was like his grip loosened for just like this split second moment, which allowed me to uh, get out of that grip. Um, and uh, there was a little bit more of a... <laughs> Uh, back and forth kind of thing until I was able to actually run away um, and my friend too uh, after me. So it, it ended um, where we were unscathed, uh, very fortunately. But um, but yeah, it was almost like the reverse of what you're talking about. Like you can't guide someone to where you have, haven't been before, but it was almost like because I had guided people to somewhere where I hadn't been, I was able to kind of guide myself through it, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> yeah, it actually reminded me of a story when I was bartending <clears throat> at this place called Soho House in New York, and I think he was a bar back, uh, but he was this very, like, this very beautiful guy, and he was, like, very Christian, and he just had this, like, glow to him. And he was recounting this this story to me one time where he was getting robbed by mm -hmm. gunpoint. And, like, sometimes people will tell you a story like that, and you're like, I don't know, like, you know, is there, is he exaggerating? Oh. But there was this conviction in him uh -huh. that, that I knew was true. And something very similar. I mean, he was very religious, and he just started talking to this guy, and he's like, you know, I love you because wow. you, God loves you, and, and I see God in you. And... And he's like, if, if you want to kill me, kill me, but I love you. I love you, man. Wow. You're my brother. And 
And, but he was just saying it like with this joy and, and, and eventually like they ended up hugging and, and, oh. and the guy went away and, you know, it was kind of crazy, yeah. um, but it was, it was real. It was yeah. like that, that conviction he had was, was, was very, very real and it, it had an impact. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. I, I'm I'm not surprised that that's statistics. I, I mean, obviously statistics are a bit hard, I think, to to gauge, but yeah. but that's a, it's certainly a reality that, mm-hmm. that we live in. And um, yeah, I think in a way, like I mean, I think in a way, like you know, a big part of this podcast is plant work, and and I think in a way that's what a lot of plant work is doing is it's preparing ourselves for. Mm-hmm adverse situations or mm-hmm. moments of intense fear, you know, ultimately of death. Like, am I, can I, can I be present when all of this is falling away? Mm-hmm. And that can be very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when it happens in our lives, it's like we've had that experience to some degree. Right. Right. <laughs> so what, I mean, this is always kind of the, the first question, but maybe you can just tell a little bit about your background, your story. I mean, I know that's always a big question, but <laughs> but like what, what you know, who is Paulette and, and what, what eventually brought you to, to doing this, this kind of work yeah. you're doing? Because it's always fascinating hearing people's stories. Okay. Um, I, I'm laughing so much because I feel like so much of my recent um, practice has been about letting go of the story of Paulette. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time, recognizing that this is the the uh, persona, this character that I'm currently inhabiting, um, and the value of this story uh, in each one of our trajectories as part of the grand play. You know, um, and I feel like. We can we can tell and retell our life stories kind of as we as we choose to you know, which I find a little um, yeah okay fine I'll share some things <laughs> <laughs> like through what lens do you want you're talking about how I got to okay we'll do the plant medicine thing. Yeah, I mean, all the work you're doing, like what, mm-hmm. what, what sparked that that curiosity? Oh, I mean, God. even you know, you brought this book, of course, in Miracles. We we had a session together where, I mean, I, I don't think I can necessarily describe it, but what it felt like me was you were, you were channeling something, you were opening yourself to something to to try and to 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 do a reading to to see maybe where someone is at and and what can be worked on, what can be helped. Um, you've worked with plant medicine, so. I mean, I would imagine all of those things, there was some curiosity, something in your life that, that you were like, what's going on? Like, um, yeah, there's something that I need to explore that, that whatever else I've been doing hasn't been necessarily giving me answers to that. Got it. Okay. Thanks. That helps to frame it a little better, <laughs> better than tell me your life story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the thread of how it, how it came to be, um, so I guess for for me, and I think for a lot of people, there is always this sense of there's something more out there than this regular life that we're living. And for me, um, I think I started to to question a lot of things 
um, 13, I started smoking weed and had some pretty cool experiences that made me really see the fluidity of um, time and space that made me start to question like the very fabric of our existence. I mean, which I had been doing, but like having that experience of seeing time, uh, you know, in a, in a delayed way and realizing that things aren't so fixed, it, I just started to question things and mostly within my own self. Um, I didn't really have so many other people around who were interested in these things. Um, and there was a point when I was 14 where I think, uh, where my mind was, was not, uh, so compatible with say the education system, um, and, uh, my current life at that time to the point where, um, I started to not go to school, um, and my mom, uh, through the suggestion of others, sent me to a mental hospital um, w- to have me evaluated because she couldn't quite understand me. Um, and just a little context, you, you grew up in Maryland. Yeah, yeah, the burbs of D.C. Yeah. Like you. As did I. Yeah. yeah. And that's a very structured society. Very. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you know that world where it's like, if you don't fit into this box, there's something wrong with you kind of thing. Um so it was it was a pretty jarring experience, um, and I was really, you know, at that age, you don't have sovereignty. You're not an adult. You can't make your own choices. It was illegal for me to not go to school, you know, until the age of 16 when you can actually choose to not. Right. Um, but it just, I wasn't getting anything out of going to, to school, but there also wasn't any alternative um, at all of like, okay, I have this deep curiosity. There's, there's so much more that I want to learn, but there wasn't anywhere where I could do it except for maybe going to the library and finding some books. Um, but I would say that going to this, uh, this mental ward of the hospital was a big learning experience. Um, so I was, I was meant to be there overnight to be evaluated, which was like, what the fuck, um, which ended up being a whole week because apparently someone said that I was suicidal, um, at school, but then they couldn't find any evidence of that when I was there. Um, so that's why I was there for a week because they couldn't reconcile it. And also it was interesting to just see kind of being in that system. Um, and I just realized pretty quickly, like there was nowhere I could go. Um, like when I first got to the hospital, they put me into like one of those padded wall rooms. Um, and it was like, wow, this, there's literally nowhere to go. Okay. Um, that's not a comfortable feeling. I don't think that we need to, uh, do that in general. Um, but, uh, it just kind of forced me to get quiet, um, and to go within. And it's actually when I started journaling. So that night, um, I couldn't sleep. I had a notebook and a pencil, uh, pens were too dangerous. So I just started writing and kind of reflecting and writing to myself. And I've been keeping, um, a writing practice for myself since then. And so I'm 38, so that's, uh, 24 years of, um, of my own self-reflection, which is a very interesting practice to also look back and see the evolution of my thinking and my concept of myself over time. Um, 
but yeah, so in that environment, it was um, full of all sorts of characters of all different ages. And if you think about, again, being in the school system, you're usually placed with people in your age group, plus or minus a couple of years, um, which I think is something that is kind of lacking in society in general is like being mm. in more of like the community sense uh, of, of being with others and not just directly with your peers. Um, there's a lot of confusion. I think that happens <laughs> without having the guidance of um, elders and also having kids around, you know, the full spectrum. So anyways, being in That's this... That's interesting. To, to, just a, yeah. a quick interjection, because I remember uh, just having a conversation recently with my, my father and his brother, my uncle, and they went to school in, in southern Virginia, mm -hmm. in a much smaller town, and their school was all grade levels. Like, all grade levels were together when they started, which was... And I never really thought about that until you said that, uh -huh. like, actually how beneficial that could be. I mean, it could be problematic, I guess, in some <laughs> ways, too, but yeah. <laughs> there's probably a lot of bullying going yeah. on. But, <laughs> but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a thought. Um, so, yeah, anyways, being in this environment with not just people of all ages, but all sorts of backgrounds, you know, like I was always, like, in the honors, AP, whatever classes. Um, so it's like you get kind of siphoned off into these little quadrants of like other people who are more similar to you than not. Um, so just like learning about people's life stories, like there was a guy I remember who he didn't have legs cause he, he tried to commit suicide and jumped off a building, but he survived. And, you know, just like hearing about his experience, um, I made friends with this older guy and we would, uh, put together puzzles um, and just talk about life. And it was like, it was actually so great to, to hear about the range of life experiences that people had, you know, like, again, growing up in the area we did, at least, and also in my family, it was like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. That is the choice, you know, it's which one, it's not um, <laughs> all the varied life experience that is possible. And, you know, the purpose of life. Um, so it was really um, a formative time where I learned a lot of things. I learned about other people, how they think, um, what's needed, what's lacking. Um, and also for me to how to um, shut up, basically, and not share uh, some of the more out there things. It kind of was like, all right, let me just fit into this mold of what is expected of me in order to not be placed uh, there again. Um, but meanwhile, all of the internal questioning about life was continuing. Um, and it was like I had been holding on to that for so long, just waiting for some things to um, help to explain all of this internal questioning. Um, which, yeah, and jumping, um, well, I could jump directly to ayahuasca, but I'll just now go to, I'd say travel was a, a large part of um, my life and my desire to explore, um, you know, getting to see different kinds of people in different cultures, languages, ways that people live was always... Uh, eye-opening and exciting and and you know I was talking about like creating this tapestry of like understanding it was like every place that I went kind of added more to this 
this mental map of like, what is the world? How do people live? How do people think? Um, how do people feel? How do people interact in relationship in society, etc. Um, and in undergrad, I started studying um, neuroscience and biological behavior uh, just because science was always easy, for one, and I was always curious about the mind. And at the time, I didn't really understand the distinction between the brain and the mind, and so neuroscience seemed like the thing. Um, but then as I learned a little more, I realized um, psychology was more in alignment, but it still wasn't quite reaching the depths that I knew was possible. Um, and I remember I took some interesting classes, like one I took was... Um, uh, Tibetan Buddhism. It was it was one of the psychology classes, and it was actually um, a geshe um, who was teaching, and started to open me up to okay, there's there's a lot more to the mind, um, and I feel like that started um, this process of really wanting to understand the mind, and so I did spend most of my twenties living in different places. I lived in Asia for five years mostly Japan, um, I really wanted to understand, like, how are Japanese people thinking? Because it's so different from anywhere else that I had ever been um, in terms of the mindset. So anyways, there's always this thread of constantly wanting to understand the nature of the mind and, um, and how that plays out in humans everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's a lot of tangents of life and, and many different things that have happened in between, but somehow all of that desire for exploration and understanding the mind did lead to uh, ayahuasca, where at the time I was in New York and I was in some crazy club in Brooklyn and I overheard two people talking about ayahuasca and I didn't know what they were talking about. I could barely hear because it was very loud but I just had this feeling of like, this is something that I need to know. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I need to know. And they're like, ayahuasca. And they were both too scared. They had heard about it, but they were too scared to try it themselves. And I, I just remember going home that night thinking, I need to do this as soon as possible. And I... <laughs> what year was that? Do you think? Uh, 2014. Yeah. Okay. And so I just like went on Google, like looking up all I could about it and there wasn't much and there was a lot that was suppressed and I remember finding a, a New York Times article which was gave me some some level of validity I guess um, that this thing was legit but it also said in that article that there were like dozens or hundreds or many ceremonies happening in New York and I was like how come I can't find any on Google um, now I think I understand why but um Anyway, so I just asked a few friends, and one friend was like, oh, yeah, my next-door neighbor, he's been he's a shaman, has been working with ayahuasca for 40 years. Um, so I met him a couple days later, and then within a few days after that, I had my first ceremony. So it was like um, I was so ready <laughs> that um, and at that point in, in my life, I felt like I was just, you know, living life, but feeling like there's something more. There's something more, and I don't know what it is, and I haven't found it. And I tried many different things um, and exploring in, in many different ways. Um, and when I, I remember that first ceremony, it felt so familiar. It felt so comfortable for me. Like, it just, I felt this ease of, like, aha, I'm back here. Um, like, some part of me had known that experience. 
And even I remember some some of the other people at that ceremony were like, that's your first time? Like most, usually people are like rolling around and having these crazy experiences, but I was just like, so good, you know? So it started like that. Um, I don't know if this story made any sense, but uh, somehow all of these threads have connected to, to getting to that point. And since then, I think I've been exploring not just plant medicines, but many other modalities and texts and things to uh, sort of deepen the understanding of what is, what is all this about? Why are we here? Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, a lot of that resonated with my own story. I mean, I, I also found travel. I mean, I was quite lucky because my, my father was really into traveling. So I, I was fortunate. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because when I was a kid, I didn't feel fortunate to be traveling. It was almost like a burden. <laughs> really? Like I wanted to be, you know, playing with the other kids. Oh. And, um, but, uh, but it was fascinating, and and I think that really changed me from a really early age too. Is because I saw wherever I went, it was just humans, and with the same problems, the same wants, the same desires. And I think that was really important because I think so, like so many of our problems, come from we like compartmentalize things, and we either like idealize certain things or we demonize certain things. And uh, I think travel has has a real power to do that. Mm-hmm. Like on the one hand, seeing seeing the good of mm-hmm. of wherever you go and the, the culture and all the amazing things. I think one difference between maybe like, and I don't like this distinction, but for a lack of better words, like kind of tourism versus traveling, or or even more than even traveling, like living in another place. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be really easy when we like. Uh, go somewhere as a tourist or a traveler to like idealize a place. Like we only see the good. Mm -hmm. And when you really start to live somewhere, you also see the not so good. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's a, I think you mentioned that interview I did with Will and that was actually Mm -hmm. something we were talking about, which is, you know, like even here in Peru, like people come Mm -hmm. for two weeks and they're like, Oh my God, this place is amazing. And it's, you know, all these cultures and ruins and people are so happy (laughs) But they don't see the other side, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the poverty, mm-hmm. the, the what I would say. I mean, you were here during the pandemic. I mean, it was it was it was a I military was not here state during the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, you were Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, people like throwing bleach on people. And, right. Throwing know, rocks. Yeah. Throwing yeah. rocks at, at mm-hmm. foreigners because yeah. they were the the barringers of this foreigners' disease. Right. <laughs> um, but. I think that is fascinating. I think for a lot of people who do this work, there is this pursuit of, and and I wouldn't have put it like the human mind. For me, it was something like what was the essence of a human being? Although interestingly, having worked a lot with ayahuasca in in more of that role of facilitation and having done with a lot of work with the Shipibo people, you know, a lot of them joke that they're, they're, they would call themselves like Shipibo psychiatrists. And in the beginning, I thought it was kind of funny, but but I really saw like that they were, and hmm. you know, no disrespect to, to to psychiatrists or psychologists, but I mean, if I had to really say, I would say actually, 
the Shipibo people who are working with ayahuasca have a much better understanding of the human mind um, because it is something that's that I think transcends all of the different layers and there's a very deep knowledge of, of the human mind and, mm. and what it means to suffer, what it means to be happy, like mm. what is the human experience. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I mean, it, it's something I say all the time. I mean, I think very much these plant medicines are... I think at their most base level, or, or the, the level that's most easy to access, they're, they're medicines of the mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very much taking us into the human mind and what it means to to, to be a human, mm. to think, to suffer, to desire, to, to have fear, to have longings, to, to have trauma, you know, all of these things. It's a, it's a very precise tool in that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, uh, I think because like you're differentiating like the Shipibo psychiatrist versus like Western medicine psych psychiatrists. And I think because when you work with plant medicines, it takes you to experiencing those things. It's not just witnessing um, the nature of the mind. It's living it. It's feeling that pain, that fear, that the suffering and the joy, all of it, the full range. Whereas in, I don't know, I don't know enough about psychiatrists and psychiatry, but it's almost like there's a detachment from the actual experience. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know enough to say, but it seems like that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a, that's a huge thing is that experiential quality. Um, because also the, the people administering the ayahuasca, they're, they're also taking it. Yeah. They've also taken it a lot of times. Like they Assuming they've, they've gotten to the point where they've gone through all of those right, things, right? Right. And it kind of gets back to that point. Like when, when someone is going through a difficult experience and they say it's okay. Right. It's coming from like a, a lived experience of like, yeah, I, like, I know that place. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Like yeah. you may think you're going insane right now, but it's okay. Yeah. Like. There's often an even like like oh good like <laughs> exactly like this is this is this is where we need to go yeah like uh, yeah I was facilitating a retreat just uh, a week or two ago and there was um, a point where a man was crying and there was, I think he had this thought that maybe he shouldn't feel sad or something like that and I said great like. <laughs> I was like so proud of him for having that experience, you know, and what I think just me saying that like, oh, great, it shifted his own interaction, his own experience with sadness, you know, and I think sometimes people are thinking that whatever we're feeling isn't good or like there's negative emotions and certain emotions we shouldn't be feeling, but it's like by trying to push it away or trying to not have it, it actually prolongs it, you know, because it's like, it's just there, like at the door being like, let me in, let me in. I want to be felt. And like so many times we're just like trying to shut the door, like, no, 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 no. I don't want to feel, I'm not supposed to feel that. I shouldn't feel that. I don't want to feel it. And it's like just opening the door and being like, you know what? You're welcome to stay as long as you want. And whenever you're ready to go, you can go. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a running joke uh, where I work at, at the temple because uh, uh, th that's usually my response to everything. It's like, oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> uh, I think someone even made a meme, like a guest of, uh, <laughs> of my photo and, you know, like, I'm dying. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, very good. Shitting your pants. Very good. Yeah. 
But it is. I mean, there's something like, again, from having gone through those experiences when those arise, it's like, oh, like, yeah, like, very good. Like, that's, that the medicine is, is working, like, very mm-hmm. deeply right now. Like, it's taking you to this really beautiful place. Like, not necessarily in the moment. It certainly doesn't feel beautiful. But, you know, that's that's ultimately where we need to go is, is into that darkness, into, you know, all of these things that are holding us back. You know, for me, I think primordially like fear is, is the biggest thing, which manifests Mm. in in so many different ways, Mm. anger, resentment, jealousy, envy, blaming, judgment, you know, all of these things. And you're saying all of that fear is underneath all of those things. That's what I've come to see. I'm not saying that that's an eternal truth, um, <laughs> but but I think at the root, yeah, mm-hmm. because it all comes from a sense of of this separation, mm-hmm. and you know, I think when we take all of those things, you know, back, like, well, where's that anger coming mm-hmm. from? Where's that judgment coming from? And it comes from this, you know, egoic sense of of me and and my and and you know, everything that I take to be real. And as those things fall away, it's very scary. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why we get angry is because someone is actually threatening us, threatening in a sense, our sense of being like, you know, when someone says, no, you're wrong and Mm -hmm. I get angry, (laughs) it's because there's actually a threat. Mm -hmm. Like I'm being diminished somehow, you know, my sense of reality of who Mm -hmm. I am is being threatened. And Mm -hmm. so we fight, we fight out Mm -hmm. or someone is really successful and I get really jealous of them because below that it's a threat to me Mm. you know like i'm i'm not as as good as them or i'm not as successful as them but it's coming from this like this deep state of fear of like what happens when these layers begin to fall away Mm. and that's very scary and so we you know we we fight it we resist it in, in all sorts of of different ways but to really go into that is 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 very scary i mean that's the which is interesting because that's the correlation of fear too. Like it's, it, we become very fearful as those layers begin to fall away. Yeah. Because there's actually nothing to hold on to. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, even literally, like the earth may begin to fall away, yeah. and then it's like there's not even something to hold mm-hmm. on to. Mm-hmm. And then if the layers of myself begin to fall away, mm-hmm. like m- my hands are no longer there. Mm-hmm. You can't my, even. My grasp. person is yeah. no longer there. The sense of who I am is no longer there. You know, and that can be terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. That was my that was my second ceremony, was that experience. Which I think everyone comes to at some point, right? The ego death experience. Mm-hmm. So for me it was uh so I mentioned the first ceremony, which was like <laughs> la la la, you know. Which it was really it was it was beautiful. I and I had this way where I could close my eyes and I could go on I had beautiful visions, insightful, got all of my questions answered. And then if I wanted to, if it was like too much, I could just open my eyes and be back in the space and feel, okay, I'm here. So I thought it would be the same for the second time. And it, it, it was absolutely not. It was um, still to this day, I think the strongest um, dose I've ever had. Like it was so strong that by the time I sat down in my seat after drinking, I, everything was already moving. I've never had anything kick in that fast. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, no, like the walls are melting. Uh, I can't do that. I can't hold on to the world through my eyes like I did in that first ceremony. And I was like, all right, let me, I guess I'll close my eyes. And it was like, oh, no, nothing's <laughs> staying still there. And it was, I just watched as like layer by layer of who I thought I was. I couldn't remember my name, couldn't remember where I was from. 
like nothing. It was like, no. But then I had this moment where I was like, you know, I see where it's going and I could either resist it or I could just surrender to it. So I was just like, you know what? And I just imagined like I was free falling backwards into just complete unknown, into blackness, nothingness. So I just like as if I were bungee jumping um, backwards, like into that and just surrendered. And once I surrendered, it was like, okay, I could see all those layers easily go. It wasn't a, no, it was just falling away until there was just like, the only thing that was like left was this, that tiny spark, you know, that I had mentioned earlier, the tiny spark of God, which that, that was all that was left. And that was all that I needed to know. Um, but yeah, I feel like everyone comes to that ego-death experience at some point or another, right? Why do you use that word, God? Um, it's easy. It's three letters, short, one syllable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I use that word interchangeably with many other words. Um, universal energy, love, um, source, creator. All To me, they're all kind of pointing to the same thing, and it's just easy. Yeah. But, you know, I adjust accordingly depending on who I'm interfacing with, you know. I can do sessions with atheists just as well as non, because it's just about using the right word for the right person that's going to reach them wherever they need to, you know. Because mm-hmm. words, you know, and in, in The Course in Miracles, it's um, that words are symbols of symbols twice removed from reality. Words are words as <laughs> words symbols. are symbols of symbols. Words are symbols of, of symbols, symbols twice removed. From reality, yeah. You know, words are just this like attempt to try to describe something, but it's never going to get there mm-hmm. through the word itself. But realizing that we're communicating through words, so, you know, whatever words need to be used. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I mentioned to you, I, I, I picked up that book. I think it was a PDF. Um, and I read the opening chapter... The chapter or the preface? Just the preface. Yeah, the preface it says was, a lot. It was like four lines. <laughs> and and I, it kind of hit me like when I read the Tao Te Ching. Yeah. And it just it was such a profound thing. I, I tried skimming through the book and I was just like, I think I just need to sit with that for a long time. And to this day, like I, it still has a tremendous resonance. Um, the introduction. I think you mentioned this before. It was the introduction. Yeah. Nothing... Let me see if I can remember. Um, Nothing unreal exists. Nothing real can be threatened. Herein lies the peace of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think for me as a teaching, if that's all we had, that would be enough. (laughs) Yeah. And that is enough. Like that, it says, the course can therefore be summed up very simply in this way. And the phrase is flipped around. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Mm-hmm. And if you get that from that, you don't need to read this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one needs to read this. This is actually just for people who have very stubborn minds, who don't want to let go of what we think is real um, and need to have a, a step-by-step process to undo that to be able to get to the peace of God, you know. What is so? What do you think that means to to you? Which that 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 preface. Uh, that 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 the last three lines of the introduction. Um, what does it mean? It's pointing to 
the peace of God, which is um, basically all that's permanent or, yeah, the only thing that's real is, is that. And that anything else is just at the level of perception. Um, there's this model that uh, one of the teachers of Course in Miracles, David Hoffmeister, uses, and uh, or he received it. Um, and by the way, this text is supposed to be um, a Jewish woman who channeled Jesus. And she, she was a psychologist at Columbia University, and she scribed this book through the channeling for seven years. She didn't believe it, and she said, um, I don't believe it, but it works. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which I think is pretty powerful and the idea that they picked the perfect channel to be able to channel this and it it kind of makes sense um but anyway so one of the teachers of A Course in Miracles David Hoffmeister he he has this he received this sort of model which um I sometimes refer back to in my mind and it's basically like the um almost like a bullseye kind of thing and the outer level is the level of perception so that's where we seem to be in this experience here, you know, we perceive ourselves to be these seeming separate human beings, um, in this world, which seems very real, which on some level, you know, 99 point whatever percent of this is not, we know is, is actually space. Um, so anyway, so we're at the level. Do you think it's not real or it's, it's not perceivable in the way that. Well, in, you're asking about what does this mean and to me it's like only that that being with god or source or in that peace that's what's real and everything else is just mm. perception mm-hmm. so it's not really real but through our perception it is real um so anyways perception and then underneath that is um feeling underneath that is thought or I might be mixing it up. And then underneath that is belief. And then um, underneath that is desire or prayer. So, um, and basically that it's through the desire, which is creating the belief, which is creating the feeling and the thought, and then this experience of perception. So, um, you know, anything, any sort of issue or problem that we're experiencing at the level of perception, we can trace back down to, the level of thought, feeling, belief, and then in order to have uh, a change or a shift, it's um, changing the desire or the prayer. And to me, it's kind of like we always have the choice, and the choice is to perceive um, from the perception of God or not. And it's kind of like that's it. That's the constant choice that we're making in everything that we're living in. When you were talking about um, all of those experiences underneath it being fear, that's, it's, it's that. And what's, what's the choice? If it's not fear, the other option is love. So you're either seeing through the lens of love or fear. And, um, you know, that's my understanding of what free will is. It's actually through which lens are we choosing to see from? Yeah. So anyways, I don't know if that made sense. (laughs) Why do you think there's so much resistance to that? Like you said, you know, even that book, Uh It's like, okay, so we get the message in the beginning, yeah. and then there's all of this other stuff to, like, reinforce that. I don't know whether it's through other stories, through examples, through teachings. Um, 
like I was reminded of um, we we were speaking of the um, the. No, I think this one it wasn't the MDMA. It was uh, with Johns Hopkins. They did a, a really big study with psilocybin mm-hmm. on terminally ill patient, uh, patients on, who basically were given you know, a, a very finite, a very short amount of time to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting group and a case study because there, there is a lot of fear yeah. there because their death is imminent. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is for all of us, but yeah. usually we think it's something far away. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that like shift of perception, as you were saying, like now that perception, it's very real for mm-hmm. them in a way where it's, it's, it's here. It's mm-hmm. they're they're thinking about it. They're planning for it. I'm sure they're, they're writing wills and, you know, mm-hmm. doing all of the things that come with that. And, uh, uh, you know, again, I could be wrong in the statistics, but I think it was three out of four people had what they would describe as, as one of the, the top three or the most profound experience of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think others would be like the birth of a child mm-hmm. or the death of a loved one. So, you know, in, in that realm. Um, and, and then for many, it was the most, you know, profound mm-hmm. experience of their mm-hmm. life. But uh, someone was speaking about this the other day. I was, I think, listening to another podcast, but they, they were reminding me of, of this one woman um, and she identified as being an atheist. Mm-hmm. And, and when they asked her, you know, she had a lot of fear and, and sadness around this whole process. After she went through that experience, she she described it something as like she felt like she was in the, 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 the loving hands of God. Mm-hmm. And she used that word, mm-hmm. God. Um, and she said after that experience, she, she didn't have a fear of, of death anymore. Like she felt like she knew where she was going and it was a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um but it was really interesting because, again, she used that word God through mm-hmm. that experience. And I think for so many people in our modern society, I mean, I think this is the also I was reading this the first time in the history of the U.S. where um, having a religion, being associated with a particular religion is now in the minority. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like 49% now mm-hmm. and 51% are not affiliated with a particular religion or church. And in the U.S., that, that's, a, <clears throat> that's a pretty shocking number because mm-hmm. even when you look at the history of the U.S., a, a lot of it was religious immigrants, right. people fleeing religious persecution. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the, the truly beautiful things about the U.S. is, is it, it gave people an opportunity to practice their religion without being persecuted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you know a lot of people forget about. <laughs> yeah. That throughout most of the world, if, if you weren't, in the majority religion, you were persecuted yeah. very often to the point of death. Like yeah. you were murdered if you didn't agree with the orthodoxy. Um, <clears throat> but so I, I guess this is kind of a long-winded question, but <clears throat> that idea that, you know, more and more we seem to be moving away from this sense of religion or God. And I think to a lot of people that has a really negative connotation and, you know, like kind of you were describing, because again, I think it was really interesting. Like you also use that word God mm-hmm. when you were describing your experience. And that's something I've seen a lot in this, mm-hmm. in this work with plants mm-hmm. is even people who are very skeptical, mm-hmm. because a lot of people who come to this work tend to be of like a certain socioeconomical class. They're like, you know, middle class, wealthier people in city centers who live a very particular life, tend to have similar beliefs. I think there tends to be a lot of skepticism, a lot of rationality, a lot of like drive towards 
the as you were describing in the beginning, like even coming from where you came from, like this this system of how we live life, and we we do this, and we get a job, and we save, and then you know we we eventually enjoy our retirement, and and we we die. Um, but so many people, I think, through working with plants, describe this religious experience where they they feel like they've somehow is that a religious experience? Because that that's implying that there's religion behind it, right? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think again because they're using that word God, which for, at least for me, I think tends to, in a way, be correlated to religion. Because you said that there are different words we could use, mm -hmm. um, but very often it's it's spoken of in in I think some way that's very similar to how many religions would speak of mm. it. Um, now that's not always the case, you know, and it and. Because it also varies, you know, like yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen people come from India who are Hindu mm -hmm. and, and they still would maybe describe it in that religious way, but in the religion that they come from. Mm -hmm. And they're using very specific words that mm -hmm. also correlate to that, that religion that they're coming from. Um, but it, it seems like a lot of people have either lost that or become very skeptical of that. And yet... Of which that, sorry. Of, I think that sense of, of... Of, of a divine experience, okay. whether that's some, some connection to God. Mm -hmm. And even like you were describing in this book, like mm -hmm. this woman said, you know, even she was very skeptical mm -hmm. of it. And yet there was something that was transmitted to her that, mm -hmm. that, that got her in touch with that. Um, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this anymore, but where or why do you think these kind of experiences, whether it's through plant medicine mm -hmm. or, or like this, this experience that mm -hmm. this woman had, is getting us in touch with that where for a lot of people like maybe even this woman she was a skeptic and yet something is is generating like that 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 case with the atheist woman who took psilocybin where they're beginning to describe these things in that way of of whether we want to call it like a religious experience words of god uh, uh you know i think even she said it was like it was like being held in 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 God's loving hands, uh -huh. you know, something along those lines, uh -huh. where people who haven't had these experiences are then using, like, very uh -huh. particular language to describe what they're experiencing. So, what are you? You're asking why people are using these I'm not words? Even sure why? What I'm asking <laughs> <laughs> you started off asking why people are resistant, but then you went, went on a different thread. Well, it seems like they're like in oh, so. Like I was pointing out that example in the U.S. for the first time, more people would uh -huh. not identify with any sort of religion. Yeah. And yet it seems like through a lot of this plant work, like even as you described in, in your first couple ceremonies, there was some divine or religious quality yeah. that, that that was leading people yeah. towards. Even though for so many people, like there seems to be a resistance towards that. Yeah. Well, this is the, the differentiation between religion and God, right? I don't know, maybe right? we can talk more about that. Okay, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I see that a lot of people are not into the religion thing because it's more about institutions and rules and, and not actually the experience of getting in touch with God. I don't think you have to have a religion to believe in God. I don't think you need to subscribe or ascribe to any any religion to have an experience with God. Like, I, I think... Um, and, you know, even this this text of A Course in Miracles, to me, 
I I find a lot more. I can fully understand atheists' perspective of why why they're atheists because um, and I'm kind of jump into this concept here because it's coming through, um, <laughs> and it's basically one of the concepts that this course is talking about um, is that. A big misconception, I believe, of this world, and I think a lot of people think that God created this world, but through the uh, through the lens of this text, God did not create this world. Um, that it's the ego mind, the split in the mind, uh, which actually created this world. So imagining basically, okay, this the loving hands of God, <laughs> perfect peace all as well, non-dual experience. And then um, it talks about the tiny mad idea that thought there's something more. And it's that tiny little thought that, oh, there's something more than what is whole, which created this split in this mind. And that, that could be correlated with the Big Bang, creation of the universe, creation of form. Um, and so this whole world is the world of the ego, it's the world of ego's creation, which I think is why so many people get confused and think, why is there so much shit in this world? Why does nothing in this world seem to lead to any sort of joy and happiness? You know, a lot of people are really get um, uh, mad at God or um, blame God because uh, they're having shitty experiences in this world. But I think that... that um, you know, the atheist perspective of like, well, if God didn't create this world, then I don't know, somehow that fits this model because then um, we're actually bringing the responsibility back to our own minds to be able to come back to God. And so if an atheist is like, doesn't believe that God exists, but then they have this experience of actually experiencing God, to me that, I don't know, I'm, I feel like I'm not making sense here. Um, and so feel free to ask questions if I'm not making sense. But um, yeah, to me, God is, God is this experience, that experience of, of, of peace. Um, and I think religion is more about trying to make that fit into the world, you know? And so it makes sense to me why people are not, are turning away from many religions, not saying that people can't also have religion and be connected with God. And for many people that works very well, you know, to have some sort of practice or ritual or coming together with other people in order to experience that. Um, like that's, that's definitely doable. But I think for many people, the current institutions, the current religions that exist don't really get people in touch with that actual experience of God. Um, I don't know. Thoughts? Well, it's interesting you use that word peace because uh, I was actually speaking to Marav the other day and she was kind of teaching me some of these uh, these Hebrew hymns, I think in a, in, a, in a distant hope that one day I would be able to sing them with her. Um, Maybe you would. <laughs> but it, it was fascinating because there's a lot of, like, like shalom is, mm -hmm. is often uh, a really common word. Mm -hmm. Or these other words that she was telling me that are different words that have 
the same meaning of peace. Mm -hmm. And so essentially almost all of these hymns mm -hmm. are like speaking about peace, mm -hmm. peace, peace, that this is what God is. God is peace. God is peace. In, in Islam, you see the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's every greeting is, uh, you know, salam alaikum, wa alaikum salam. Like, may, may God's peace be with you. May God's peace be with you. And I don't think that that would just be a random thing. Like, why are they choosing this word peace? And, um, you know, also for me, that seems to be one of the, the qualities that a lot of plant medicine is pointing towards is this idea of peace. But so how would you, how would you reconcile again, maybe from someone who's an atheist or maybe someone who was religious. And so they're hearing, well, God is peace, but God took my child away when I was five years old. That doesn't seem like a very peaceful thing. Or they look at war and they say, well, how can there be a God if, you know, or there's, you know, rapes and child molestations and, you know, mean people. So is it because, again, what you're pointing to is, is you know, is that split that the world is duality, that it is light and dark? And yet, why why is that the case then? If if the essence of God is peace, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking, but um, again, the the idea that well, God did, didn't create the world, so you don't need to blame God. <laughs> Um, the way I see it, it's kind of like, okay, this, this piece of God is always there. Um, but again, with this, this split of the mind of perceiving this entire world, this entire universe, which, um, you know, samsara, it's like the cycle of suffering. Like this is, this is the seeming experience that we're in, but knowing that this piece is always there, we can always find it just because it's, 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 that's what the presence of it is. So it doesn't really matter actually what is happening, um, which is hard to say for many people like, oh yeah, your son just died. Ah, doesn't matter. The peace is there. That sounds ridiculous. Um, but actually some people have that experience. It's actually through these difficult experiences where there's like some, like something that snaps is like, wait a second, this there's more than just this. It's not just about this death or this suffering or whatever is happening in the world. Um, so I don't even know. I'm not even sure what I'm saying. But I guess for me, it just... One of the things that in, in the course it, it says is... Um, or kind of asks is, like, what, what's your goal? You know, and, and one of the lessons... Like, there's 365 lessons. Um, and there's, there's a point where it's like, my only goal is peace. Um, and I think a lot of us aren't clear with ourselves about what, what are we doing here? What do we want? What is our goal? You know, just kind of like fumbling around thinking that our goal is something in the world, but like, are we actually seeking for something deeper? Are we seeking for an experience of peace? Are we seeking to feel a certain way? Um, and I think just even asking that is, is, um, can bring a lot of clarity, um, because really the way that the ego mind in the world works is it doesn't want peace for us because that would be a complete threat to it. If we're at peace, then 
we don't need to be in this world. It won't, this world won't continue, you know. Um, I don't know what you think about all this. Well, it's interesting because it, it reminds me, uh, uh, I think a lot of like plant medicine work and, and what I've seen through, through kind of facilitating <clears throat> is, and it was something that uh, was, was kind of striking to me, but often when asking what people's intentions are, um, you know, s- sometimes they can, they can word that well, but very often when you start to get into that or when they start to describe like what's coming up, why, why are they coming to, to, mm-hmm. to work with some of these? I, I noticed there was a real facility, a, a real ease or a, 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 a commonality where people would put things in the negative, mm-hmm. like I'm suffering or I'm unhappy or my partner isn't doing enough or my mother was too mean or my father was too abusive or and like if you ask them okay well what is it you're looking for and they're like well I don't want that I don't want that anymore right and okay but what is it that you want well like I don't want that but what is it that you want and and I often find it's very difficult for people to find the words of what they want right and I think, again, it kind of comes back to fear because it's actually in a way scary to say, like, well, what is it that I actually want? Mm-hmm. And also kind of going back to that thread about about peace is kind of trying to guide people. And again, not trying to put any words in their mouth, but just like a process of like real inquiry, like, like what is it that you want? Mm-hmm. It's like often people get to that point of like they're about to say like, well, I want joy or I want mm-hmm. peace. But in the, it's very difficult often for people to say that because I think in a way it seems to many people like it's too simple. Mm-hmm. Like, is that all life is about? And it seems somehow like they're cutting themselves short in a way. Like, mm-hmm. like even that idea, maybe, maybe it's just it seems too foreign. Like to be happy, yeah. You know, and and I think in a lot of ways it's like the human being that the societies we've created are so complex that to come back to that that very simple idea, it almost feels like 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 being a simpleton in a way. <laughs> you know, like even we often look at people who right. seemingly are really happy. Like yeah. maybe it's a farmer yeah. who just gets joy from tending to his plants or right. his animals or her garden or you know, whatever it is, these, mm-hmm. these daily habits. Mm-hmm. And I think there's often this like looking down that, mm-hmm. well, that's just a simpleton. Like they just don't know any better. You know, they, yeah. they, they don't understand that. And it, it reminds me of that quote of in, in like Zen, like before enlightenment, chopping wood. Uh-huh carrying water uh-huh. after enlightenment chopping wood carrying water um so you know going back to that book if which i think is very fascinating again that idea of peace that god is peace which again many religions have been pointing towards mm-hmm. like very very clearly mm-hmm. um do you think that that's that there's something to that where that's just it seems too simple to people like that's yeah. like is that really just what i'm looking for is peace it, and and maybe is there a sense that like we haven't really felt that in a way, and so maybe it doesn't 
like if we haven't felt that, then maybe why would I want that? Because right. it's how not... would I even know that I want that if I've never experienced it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's two threads with this. One is in response to this. The other one is theta healing. Um, so in in this text of A Course in Miracles, it does it actually acknowledges that we're actually terrified of love. We're terrified of it. Uh, we think that we're afraid of all these other things, death and blah, blah, blah. No, we're actually deeply afraid of love, of actually experiencing love and peace. Um, and that's just because of the deep programming that we've we've been in this world. You know, it's about survival. It's 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 the opposite of of that. And it's like through the experience that I've had through, um, I've gone through the text and done the lessons um, twice over. And I actually recently kind of received the message of like, okay, you've graduated from it, so I don't need to study it anymore. Yes. Um, it's a thousand page text. It's not like easy. And it all it actually it just is very triggering and shows all the resistance in the mind of the ego to love and peace. And it says that I think in the introduction where it says that this this course or this book doesn't seek to teach about love. It actually is about removing all the barriers or seeming blockages that we have to it. And that's what the experience is. It's about actually seeing all the thick ass layer of resistance that we have to experiencing it. And it's actually a lot easier when we can acknowledge that we're actually afraid of love instead of lying to ourselves and saying, yeah, I want love and peace. But actually when it gets close, fuck you, get away, you know? Uh, (laughs) So it's it's a it's actually more like a, a text, an experience of undoing, to be able to actually get to it. And when you go through it and you realize, oh my god, I'm I am afraid, and I have so many blockages, um, and this is this is the norm. This is how most of us have been raised in this world. Is with all of those uh, barriers, you know, with the exceptions of these these uh, few handfuls of moments where we're actually feeling that, um, that's that's how many of us are operating from. And uh, to be able to actually see that and then undo it and then to start to let that experience of peace and love start to be present, it's, it's an interesting experience. Um, and then another thing I was going to talk about as well is about, so theta healing is another modality that I've gone quite deep with. Um, and one of the sort of simple ideas about it is that, um, say for example, if somebody, um, you're doing a healing session and they're like, um, I've been depressed my whole life. I've been suffering my whole life. And like what you were saying, like, I don't want to suffer. I don't want depression. Um, but they don't know what would be there in, in, in place of that, because that's all that they've experienced their entire lives. And sometimes some people just need to have like this, experience of feeling something first to even know that that that's a possibility you know if someone's never felt unconditional love how would they even know that that that's what it is how would they be able to open up to trust to experience that how would they know that it's safe to let go of all of this depression and anger and things that have been kind of replacing that because that's what's allowed them to survive um you know, sometimes it's this, it's that simple. It's like first someone needs to have that feeling like in their system to feel it. And then those things can go. But it's it's totally like that. Like if you've always lived without that feeling, 
you don't know anything else. It, it's, it's simple. It is simple. All of this is very simple. <laughs> can you give an example, if you can think of one, like in that text, like what would be a process of, of, of removing those barriers? Hmm. It's, it's a slow process. Like, so like, as I mentioned, there's 365 lessons. And by lesson, it means like it's a practice, um, which I think most modalities need to have some sort of practice for it to be, to actually do its thing. So I'm going to just say lesson one. So it's an experience. So the idea is like you, it's kind of like a little meditation. It's something that you're doing in your own mind. And like the first lessons you only do for like one minute, one or two minutes, maybe like twice a day. That's it. It's not very much, but it does a lot already. So like the first lesson is nothing I see in this room um, from this window in this place means anything. So then the idea is you just slowly look around the room or the place that you're in and you practice applying that idea in your mind like, um, okay, this water bottle does not mean anything. This microphone does not mean anything. This plant does not mean anything. Um, and then basically it's, it's just a slow undoing, um, and realizing that we're actually putting all of our own meaning onto everything. This water bottle is neutral. If in my mind, I'm think I'm judging it for like, oh, I haven't cleaned it recently. It's dirty. Uh, there's parasites in this water it comes from the tap, whatever. Those are all the things that I'm imposing onto it, um, that my mind is imposing onto it. But in reality, it's all neutral. And like, just slowly, it's like these tiny shifts. And even if you don't understand what that means, like this doesn't mean anything, it doesn't even matter because it's just like slowly introducing the idea. It's like loosening the grip of what we think is real in this level of perception to start to kind of slowly loosen that grip and, and, and wonder like, is, is this, is this really what I always thought it was? And I think that that, even that small idea of like loosening the grip of, of what we think something is, is so huge. And it's actually something that I apply in while I'm facilitating. And in this last retreat, I watched myself apply that concept. So the idea of putting someone or something in a box, um, by deciding this is how it is, this is how they are. For example, there was, um, a guest who came who he, um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but um, I was kind of judging him as a particular way of being stubborn. He actually maybe used that word uh, to describe himself, that he's usually very stubborn, and so it's hard for him to let go. And I said to him, like, I'm not going to uh, believe that, uh, and I'm going to see you for who you are. I'm not going to um, believe the stories that you tell, and I'm not going to... Um, believe any of the projections or judgments that I make, none of those things are real. You're not, I'm just going to see you for as you are. So, you know, questioning, if you say that you're stubborn and that you're, you, maybe you're not, what if you're not, what if that's not who you are? What if that's just data information from the past that you have experienced and, um, put a label on it, but by, erasing that box of like, maybe you're not that person, 
or maybe this thing doesn't mean X, Y, Z. It actually gives that person or this thing the freedom to not be tied to those bounds of our own minds. And I find that when I'm in this facilitator role, um, the more that I can clean my mind, clean my perception, clean my judgments, and see things as like clear as possible, it allows them the room to see themselves in a totally different light without my even need to like say like, oh, you're this non-stubborn, you're this peaceful person. Like, I don't even need to do that. It's just, let me clear my mind from how I'm perceiving you so you have the freedom to be who you really are, which is much deeper than all these layers that we think we are. Yeah. <laughs> I facilitated a number of ceremonies where <clears throat> someone who would describe themselves as very peaceful or like uh -huh. a meditator uh -huh. uh, ended up losing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it can go both ways. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 mentioned uh, theta healing. Uh -huh. Can you can you talk more about that? Because I maybe some people have heard of that. I, I would yeah. imagine most people haven't. So yeah, it's a it's a healing modality that I've learned that um, for me has been really useful to sort of understand anything in form and beyond form um, to kind of give the the framework of this universe or seeming universe and what's beyond. Um, and I'm going to just go through maybe the planes of existence through this model. Um, but basically this, this entire modality was um, channeled through, love channelers, um, a woman named Vianna Steibel. Um, and she just started healing herself first and then other people and then it came to a point where she needed to then teach it, or people wanted her to teach it. Um, and it's what I find interesting about this is, you know, she's based in Montana, and over time it keeps evolving. And what she said is that um, the next sort of levels or the next classes she receives when the collective is ready for it. Um, uh, I have a lot to say about Theta Healing because it's one of the modalities that I've worked with the most. And when I work with people, um, I often use it just because it's, it's all inclusive. Like there's no nothing, no being, no experience that can't be worked with through this. So basically, um, one of the ideas is there, there's seven uh, planes of existence. Um, the first one being um, like minerals, rocks, the second one, plants, third one, humans and animals, fourth, ancestors, fifth, um, ascended masters and other beings, uh, sixth is the laws of the universe, and then the seventh is source, God, creator, whatever uh, word you want to use with that. And so that just having that sort of framework for me has been really useful, um, even in like, say, ceremony space where like, maybe this a being will appear in my vision, um, or in the space, and I'll just know, okay, who is this? Like, I, I can kind of place where this is. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's basically the seven planes of existence. Um, so, hmm. 
a lot of it too is um, you know with that model that I was talking about with perception and da, 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 belief. So a lot of it is also working on the level of belief, realizing that um, whatever uh, we believe is also creating the experiences. So where the sort of edges that are in our existence, you know, wherever we perceive conflict or where we um, are finding blocks for greater growth, um, it's basically you can trace it back down to usually uh, a set of beliefs or a belief uh, that seem to be limiting us from experiencing what's beyond that. or um, And part of that, you know, reconciling this with say a course in miracles it's like ultimately the goal is is the same is to be uh one with god in that non-dual experience but it's also very practical in recognizing that we're very we very strongly believe that we are these beings that we are having these experiences that things are fixed um and it's just kind of acknowledging that um and then i was saying like um she does new levels as the collective is ready for it um, and I just want to share a little story, which I think is cool. So I have a lot of dreams in general, a lot of lucid dreams and very clear dreams. Um, I enjoy working with the dream world in general. But I had this one dream one time, which is one of the most like clear, long dreams that I've ever had. Um, and in it, I was in a classroom with, with Viana, with um, this woman. And there were like five or six of us in there. And she was teaching us about... Um, the details of how to travel in time <laughs> um, and to make changes, um, to go back in time and make changes. And it was almost like we were kind of doing a trial and error thing. It reminded me a lot of Back to the Future. Um, and I came out, like, uh, woke up and be, just wrote so much down because there was so much information um, about those details of how to do that, that it was so, and it was so clear and it stuck with me. Um, and then a couple of months later, I, um, met with her at, uh, a training in Mexico and I told her about the dream and she just very calmly was like, yeah, that's DNA four, basically like the next level, which hasn't come out yet. Um, and it still hasn't, um, probably will be in a couple of years or something. It, again, it depends on when sort of the collective is, is ready for that. So that's just like a part of one of the future, classes. Um, and just to give you an idea, like DNA three, um, is a class where in it, I learned, um, how to do remote viewing, telekinesis, um, uh, you know, moving objects with your mind, um, changing the taste of water. Um, some, some things that right now, I think a lot of people are able to do, um, but it's still kind of at that edge of where we think our capabilities are um, in this level of perception. Um, and, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, talking about remote viewing would have sounded crazy. Now it's very much a lot of people's experiences, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like this modality is growing as everyone is ready to accept the sort of the next step in, um, in opening up our perception of what we're capable of. So yeah, that's, um, that's part of it. And, you know, that doesn't talk about the, like, what is the actual experience of a healing session about, but that's kind of some of the overall framework, which I found extremely helpful for, um, actually for working with medicine in that space. And, um, you know, there's nothing that's too out there for me, basically. <laughs>
And why is it called theta? Because it, that's referring to like a one of the brain waves mm-hmm. that you're you're trying to tap into. Yeah. So the idea is that yeah, in the theta brainwave state, it's uh, and by the way, when you're when people talk about brainwave states, it's not that it's only one kind. It's like all alpha, beta, gamma, delta, um, theta. They're all sort of happening at the same time. It's just what is the most dominant. And so, um, yeah, the idea is you get into this meditative state where uh, theta is the uh, dominant brainwave um, that's being used, which is kind of um, like a dreamlike state where it's easy to tap into the subconscious mind. It's also where you can, um, it's easier to kind of create from that place. Yeah. So the idea, <clears throat> like when you mentioned about going back in time and, and, and changing, is that Is that something as simple as like through that that theta state, that dream state, which is 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 again something that that dreamlike space is something that's I think very common in, mm-hmm. in all in all plant work. Mm-hmm. I think, in a sense, all plant work is putting us in that state. Yes. Um, so is that by going into that state and and in a sense like being in that that past situation mm-hmm. and like making different choices or, or reprogramming our beliefs mm-hmm. that that then has a resonance to our, however we want to call it, our, our waking state to where that in a sense has changed the past because it's, it's reprogrammed what that situation was for us. Yeah. Um, so firstly, this level hasn't come out officially. So what I'm sharing is just from my dream, <laughs> not from anyone from the Institute or anything. Um, but what I learned from my dream about that experience, there was actually, um, it was interesting because in the dream we were going um, kind of back and forth. It was like the present in the dream was the classroom and then the past was this event where there was like a fire in a building, et cetera, et cetera, and someone ended up dying. So we went back to that situation, tr- stopped that fire from happening. But then what happened as that time played out is that per- that person that died in the fire ended up dying in, in a different way. So part of that whole experience of going and seeming to change whatever was happening in time was actually part of the process of accepting that this per- it was part of this person's path that they needed to die. So it wasn't it's not about trying to uh, change things from our perspective of what we think is best for others or the world or ourselves. Um, but it was actually in this in this dream part of that the learning was to just come to a state of acceptance. Um, because I don't think that we know what is best, uh, for us usually, you know, like we don't know, uh, and it's, that's in A Course in Miracles as well. It's like, we don't know our advances from our retreats. You know, we think that we're, we're going, we're sucking at life sometimes, but sometimes we're like, you know, this whole pandemic situation. It's like for a lot of people, their lives were interrupted, um, from what they thought they should have been doing, but actually it ended up, allowing a lot of people to pivot their lives to be more in better alignment. I'm not saying for everybody, but, um, just, just that idea that we don't know, we don't know what's best for us. Um, but yeah, so, but part of that, what you said about, um, being able to go back in time and reprogramming things, um, it, in a way it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It doesn't really matter where in the timeline we're, we're working on things, um, because at least the way that I see it, it's, it's just information. It's just data. We end up, uh, cycling through things, 
Um, like if there's something unresolved that we have in our past, we're going to find those same patterns at different points in our lives presently or in the future. And it doesn't matter if we're working on that past trauma or experience or thing that we've been avoiding, or if we're, we're approaching it from the present or if we're approaching it from the future, it's all going to affect the same, um, thread, you know, at least that's how I see it. <laughs> so the idea would be like in that sense, obviously that there would need to be something that's bothering us. For example, there would Something that brings us out of peace, maybe right. is a better way of saying it. Right, yeah. Yeah. So for, for a memory or past event that's bringing us joy or peace, there would be no reason to reprogram that. Because, yeah. So it's something, something that we're holding on to, whether that's a, a block or a belief system that's keeping us from that state of mm -hmm. peace, that's where we would want to go in to, to work on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what is... Like, how would you, <clears throat> how would you describe that process? Like, and again, you only mm -hmm. have to share what you want to share, but what is that, what is that sense? Like if you're sitting and working with someone, mm -hmm. um, you know, because you, again, you, you mentioned this idea a couple of times of like being a channel, mm -hmm. like, what does that really entail to you? Like, what do you, what, what would you describe as like, what's, what's going on with you in that state and, and how is that affecting someone that you're working mm -hmm. with? Uh, I'd say that like channeling or co connecting to the consciousness of the creator source, whatever spirit, um, to me, it's, it's getting out of my programs because, you know, I'm in this meat suit full of all sorts of programs. Um, and the less that I can impose my own information onto somebody else, the better, so if I can kind of put the me, Paulette, aside and all the stories, experiences, things that I think I know aside and to allow that consciousness to be the one that's directing the conversation, the questioning, the things that are needed, the better. Um, and again, this is just another vector that's about um, getting closer to the experience of, of being one with um, what word do you prefer? You seem to be sticky about God. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I use that word too. I'm just, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested like why you're using oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, but what, 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 what do you prefer? I, I don't prefer anything. I mean, okay, whatever, great. whatever word resonates you. But you think you. that God is sticky for some, or is that, is that my assumption? Uh, well, I, I think certainly it can be sticky for people. Um, but, but I think. I think it's it's just interesting whatever word people use mm. because it it means something to it them. Says something, about, yeah. and I mean I, I use that word. It, okay. it, it means something to me. Okay. Um, but I'm just always curious, like in a way, like trying to figure out what that means to someone too, hmm. because people can use different words in different ways too, and it may mean something different right. to to someone else. So yeah, that that's the words are symbols of symbols mm -hmm. thing. It's exactly that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Anyways, yeah, the idea for all the things that I'm working with, all the vectors, plant medicine, Course in Miracles, Theta Healing, it's all, it's all about just coming to that experience, but also realizing that um, I seem to believe that I'm not fully there yet. So whatever I need to do to get there, I'll do, which means, um, and, and I see that as well with, with whoever I'm working with in front of me is me. It is literally me. It is not 
a separate being. Um, and so I'm actually going to go into this concept of the dreamer of the dream, um, which I love. And in this, in this recent retreat that I was in, one of the participants shared uh, a lucid dream that he had the last night of the retreat. And his dream was, um, he woke up in the dream and he realized he was lucid and he was going around to all the different characters in the dream being like, wake up, wake up, wake up. <laughs> and I just, I laughed so much because I was like, that's, that's how I feel like I'm living this life is like, I just, I realize that I need, I seem to need, or I believe that I need everybody else to wake up for me to wake up too. Um, and so with the concept of the dreamer of the dream thing, um, it's basically, you know, when you're dreaming, you have all these different characters in your dream world, right? Um, are they real characters or are they coming from your mind? I mean, I'm, I'm just asking you what you believe. It's, it's a big question. I, I mean, I, for me, the <laughs> yeah. way I would look at it is, yeah. is they're all real? M much in that way of the opening line of that is nothing unreal can exist. So if something is being experienced, it's real. Okay. It's real in that moment. It's real to me. Okay. Someone else may not share in that exact same reality uh -huh. because they may be perceiving something else, but it's as real for me as, as, yeah. as it is in this reality. Yeah. Okay, so the question isn't about is it real or not. It's more, um, um, hmm. I don't know how to ask it. Okay, I'll just share. I'll just share what I'm. What and then coming coming from the mind, I mean that's kind of a big question too. Because again, we could say everything originates from the mind, like right. you're pointing to, like yeah. all of creation comes from the. The belief, the, the 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 observer observe like this is this exists because I'm there to experience right. it and yeah, mind is wherever. <laughs> um, but so I'll just okay. So to summarize this this concept of the dreamer of the dream, the idea is when we are sleeping and dreaming that the the all the characters that we witness in our dreams are coming are still coming from our mind from one mind. Um, and the same concept is applied to this experience, um, that maybe we are not actually separate beings. Maybe we are actually just different characters, but being played out from one mind. Um, so that's kind of how I approach seeing and experiencing this life is seeing you as an, we're part of the same mind. And I'm seeing you, but it's not, you're not separate. We're, we're, I'm you, you're me, you know. Um, and I, I'm not always there, but I find the more that I'm doing all these different practices, the more stable that awareness is. Um, and so sometimes I'll just walk around, you know, like the market or somewhere like that. And I'll just, I'll keep that in my mind of this, like, okay. These are all just other characters that are part of the same, we're part of the same mind. And um, the idea of judging others or in any way, shape, or form, you know, positively or negatively is, it just becomes a reflection about how I'm perceiving myself, you know. Um, so when I, coming back to the Theta Healing thing, so when I'm, when I'm doing any sort of session or even conversing with anybody, doesn't even need to be a formal session. Um, 
I'm, I'm doing my best to keep that in, in mind. And so if someone is experiencing um, whatever, anything out of peace, I actually just do my best to come back to that state of peace. And sometimes just doing that and not perceiving them out of peace, it actually seems to do something too. Um, and that also brings me to Ho'oponopono. Are you familiar with that? I'm familiar with it by, by name and to some degree, some of its okay. form, but it's not something I've, I've really studied much. Okay. So that's the one that I've also... They're all very similar, but um, uh, I learned some... I took some classes with um, Dr. Hiliaka Hulen. He has a fascinating story. I mean, I don't... Have you heard of his story? I'll tell the summarized version that basically he was... Um, I think he was a psychiatrist uh, working at Hawaii State University Hospital at the mental ward. And it was like in horrible conditions. The staff would like walk against the walls because they were just like so afraid. There was violence. I don't know, all sorts of crazy stuff happening. And he practiced what he learned about Ho'oponopono. And that meant taking all the files and just cleaning his mind while looking at each file. Cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. He didn't meet with a single patient. And I don't know how many months or how much, how much time went by, but there was a point where they had to close it down because everyone got better. Um, and so it, his practice and what I've learned from him is just it's basically just keep cleaning your mind use everything anything that you're witnessing is you and so if you're anything is bringing you out of peace clean that you know <sighs> so that's part of yeah that's part of my my practice as well is just to keep keep cleaning my mind as much as possible and it's part of the idea behind that because like when you're holding that state, it's very difficult. It, it, whatever the other person is holding onto that's keeping them from a state of peace, like in a way that needs something to feed off of. And if that's not, if that's not there in that field, then it just naturally begins to fall away because there's nothing to, to give it to. food to. You know? Yeah, kind of. And uh, I would say it's even more about taking the responsibility rather than it's about the need to change anybody else or to have any sort of outcome. It's actually just like the idea is like a hundred percent responsibility for everything that I'm seeing, everything that I'm witnessing. Um, you know, there's no blame. There's no, Oh, this person's like that. It's a hundred percent. This is me. This is in my mind. And I can, um, I can clean that because the idea is that like, we're all just carrying data, just information, past experiences, uh, ideas, beliefs, any of those things, and, which aren't who we are. And the more that we can clean it, the more we're, we're in that state of coming back to peace, love, God, spirit. Um, but it's, it's kind of radical in that sense, in that it's, it's about taking the responsibility. Um, and like, it's what I was doing this entire, this past retreat, everything. And I mean like, okay, there's the participants 
and it's like all of their stories, all their experiences, and just in my mind, I'm just cleaning. And beyond that, the owner, the uh, retreat center, any sort of like conflict or issue, that's my responsibility to clean, you know. And the more that I like, it was it was amazing. It was probably the the best retreat that I've been on in, in that I was able to really keep cleaning like and stay with that, stay with that more uh, stable and, and longer than maybe I have in, in previous times. And the result was amazing, I would say. And it's not, a, it's not even about the result. It's just being in that constant state, you know. And is that is that something you think that that like there are very specific practices that that train you to do that, or there's a natural perceptivity, or like it's some combination of both? Like like anyone can do that, or yeah. certain people are just naturally, for whatever reason, better able to perceive what's going on in someone else. Like how, I mean, again, I would imagine if you just took a random person and sat them down and said, hey, perceive what's going on. <laughs> like, like maybe they could. Maybe there's some perception that's happening. But, uh-huh. but I would imagine it's, it's, not, it's not the same. And maybe that's just because they haven't had a practice of it. Um, like, so how would one begin to develop that? that sense you're talking about um how would one be able to develop the sense of what that perception like like because you're saying like i'm perceiving something in this person that's keeping them out of peace Uh and then i'm i'm holding that or cleaning that or not judging them for that Uh but how is that perception there in the first place like just by by sitting in front of someone or it's you're you're asking them questions to define what that is like oh how do i even perceive anything mm -hmm. it's whatever enters my mind any judgment thought at all Hmm. you know like uh i don't know how how if (laughs) for example what do you perceive when you're looking at me Well, I guess that's what I'm asking because obviously there's there's perception. Like we, I think anyone can perceive certain things, uh-huh. and I think we all do that on a daily basis. Exactly. I mean, we're walking down the street and we get a sense of like, ooh, like I don't want to be around that yeah. person, or oh, that that person feels really nice. Mm-hmm. Like you know, their energy feels really good. Right. But in the practice you're talking about, like, uh-huh. because from how I understand it, you're you're sitting in front of like one person, like working with them. Yeah, well, I, what I'm talking about is, yes, in the context of, say, doing a one-on-one session, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also talking about all the time in everyday life, always. Mm-hmm. Right. Even on my way driving here, there was a guy, like I was turning left here, and there was a guy that was mad that I had to break to turn left. And I saw him in the rear of me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, okay, let me... Whatever I'm perceiving with that, all of the ideas, like, oh, he's impatient, uh, he, whatever, all of my thoughts, that's for me to clear, you know. 
but like with love for me, I, I, I laugh at it because I, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I'm so at peace. Look at me. And then a small thing like that will trigger me. And it's like, oh, perfect. Okay. Thank you. You know. So I get pretty angry when I'm on my motorcycle and people try and run me off the road. <laughs> yeah. And I usually find myself like flicking them off or like cussing them out. Um, try, try saying thank you next time. <laughs> I'm serious. Like the, and this is part of Ho'oponopono. What, what a lot of people learn from it or what they associate with it is the, the four phrases, you know, forgive me, I'm sorry, thank you, I love you. Mm. Um, I don't know. That's what some people call the social media version of Ho'oponopono. Um, which... I'm sure is, and, and for me, that's what I understood about it at first. And I, I used that, I used those phrases and it, it helped me to come to a greater sense of peace. But it's like realizing that what it is, is it's actually so much deeper than just like a surface level thing. And, um, you know, actually genuinely meaning thank you for like when someone pisses you off, it's like, thank you. Because I, I wouldn't have been able to see that aspect of myself um, or that area where I'm not in peace, or that area where I'm holding on to judgment, if not for this interaction, you know, so. So then what do you think is that balance of, because I think some people watching would say, okay, so I can understand, like, like you're working with a client, mm-hmm. let's say again, you're in a ceremonial space, and there, there's a there's a number of people, and like you mentioned, that idea someone said, uh, I'm stubborn and mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to accept that in mm-hmm. a way. Like maybe that's the case, maybe it's not, but I'm mm-hmm. going to try and hold that space of allowing whatever happens to happen. Um, and I think many people would look at that and say, well, what happens? Like, again, let's, let's just assume we're talking about that space. Someone starts becoming like physically violent like, wouldn't there need to be some judgment or some recognition of, hey, this person is a danger, uh, therefore I need to take action to prevent that? I have no idea. I've never been in that situation. <laughs> have you? Mm-hmm. And or, or maybe even something more simple, like mm-hmm. like someone is, is rolling around on the floor mm-hmm. and it's a hard floor and... Maybe you can see, like, hey, like maybe they're going to hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or is that just coming from a place of, of, again, like not necessarily a judgment of that person, like they're they're bad or they they don't know how to control themselves, and just looking at it from a neutral place of like, oh, they're hurting themselves, therefore I'm going to take action to prevent mm. that. Yeah, I I like your question. Um, it's making me think, and I. It's coming back to, at least for me, and I know it's totally illogical and most people don't operate from this place, but I, I ask everything that I do, and I do everything from guidance. Um, it's not about like deciding if XYZ happens, therefore I will do XYZ. It's like a moment-by-moment moment asking that I do and following that and trusting it. You know, there's, I I learned from, from a friend about this, like, idea of pray, listen, and then follow. And a lot of people do maybe the praying, like, hey, source, guidance, whatever, what do I do? And they'll, they'll get an answer, but then they'll do something else. Um, And then later, it's like, ah, I knew it, you know. And, And I think it's because we have this intuition 
that guidance, that inner guidance that is so accurate and always leads us the right way. But the way that our minds are programmed often, um, we don't trust it all the time. Um, so I've been learning to live from that place of actually following through. And sometimes it's not easy and sometimes there's pushback and sometimes people get upset, <laughs> but I, I just have so much trust that what, what I'm getting is exactly what I need to be doing that I don't, I don't have any concerns or worries. And there, there was, um, let's say in this last retreat where someone was breathing in such a way that I, for a moment interpreted it as, oh no, they could have trouble breathing, uh, blah, blah, blah. Something could happen. Um, yeah, there are protocols in place and there's like a medical doctor uh, on hand, on call if need be. But I just ask my guidance, like, okay, like, is there anything I need to do right now? No. Okay. And I trust it. And if there is a time where I would need to do something, intervene or ask someone for help to intervene and I get that guidance, I'll do it. You know, it's for, at least this is how I operate. Um, so far it's working pretty well, <laughs> but I do, I, I know that, no, no, I'm going to change what I was going to say because I do, I think more and more people are living from that place of trusting their intuition more. And I think it's, especially with a lot of the sort of chaos and seeming disorder that's been happening in the world, it's kind of having that rug pulled under us of, of not just systems and structures, but also our mental structures and how, how we live. We can't live from this place of thinking that things are as solid as they were before. Um, and what you were talking about before, like even this earth might not be so solid. It could not exist. Anything could happen in that sense. And to me, it's like, when people also ask about like, <clears throat> or talk about grounding, like, oh, I need help grounding, or like after they have ayahuasca or go on a retreat or something like that, and they go back to their lives, grounding is really an issue. And, and what I often will tell people is like, what are you grounding yourself to? You know, like, what are, what do you think that you want to be standing on, you know, is it, is it the earth? Because that's also something that's not solid and changeable. Um, or is it like the old ideas that you had? For me, it's about grounding in spirit or source, because to me, that's the only thing, you know, in this ego death experience, there's nothing, there's nothing else we can hold on to. There's nothing else we can latch on to. And even that is not like a grasping kind of experience. It's like, um, so yeah, it's about for me, grounding into that, sinking into that, the trust of spirit. Is that where faith would come in? Uh, I guess. Again, that's just a word. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I guess faith is a way to describe maybe, yeah, having that trust. Yeah. That's a good word. <laughs> Do you think there are certain... Um, practices or things people can do to to get better in touch with that intuition? Because I, I think a lot of people feel like they, they may resonate with what you're saying. Like, yeah, like I, that feels right. Mm -hmm. 
which again may, may be an intuition, mm-hmm. but they may feel like they have blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I often think of like food, for example. Mm-hmm. Like I think a, <laughs> most people, like as they begin to come into better touch with themselves, with food, as they begin to, whatever that process is, questioning what they're eating, trying different things, eliminating certain things, Um, I mean, even in the process of working with plants, like that's often a really good opportunity when one goes into Mm -hmm. like a dieta of Mm -hmm. cutting certain foods out is the body then becomes much more sensitive Mm -hmm. that that intuition is like sharpened in Mm -hmm. a way. And then when they go back to a certain food, that intuition is telling them like, Ooh, this, this isn't maybe right, or at Mm -hmm. least it's not right right now. Um, and so in that way, like that intuition is sharpened, but I think a lot of people feel like they don't, like their intuition isn't like, like it's not operating at full capacity Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, and I think they would like to Mm -hmm. have that intuition there, but they feel like there are maybe some sort of blocks Mm -hmm. that are keeping them, you know, again, in the example of food, it's like, is that our intuition telling us to go for like that third (laughs) ice cream chocolate sundae or whatever? Because obviously there is something in the body that's like, Ooh, this feels and tastes really good but i would imagine on a deeper level there's also a sense of like this is an excess it's it's too much um so do you have any like any advice or or anything you've learned that they can help people with with that there's a few things coming to mind one is that there are a lot of neurotransmitters in in the gut um and so yeah like those pangs of like, ooh, yeah, it's definitely in alignment for me to have my third chocolate sundae. Yeah, that's, um, (laughs) I think there can be some confusion there with like, what is for my highest good versus what does the bacteria in my gut say? Um, And actually, interestingly, with with Theta Healing, um, what Viana had said is before taking DNA4, which again, hasn't even come out, no one has, this is not information, but uh, official information or anything, but like she says that for three months to cut out uh, white sugar, white flour, I think there might be something else on that list because um, sometimes like the bacteria and yeast are, um, you know, the the information, the neurotransmitters that are happening um, through these organisms um, are, are going to, to our brains and we do get confused. Like, so is this information coming from the bacteria? That's like, yes, definitely. I need more or the parasite or whatever is in our body. That's been living off of, uh, these things telling us to just have more sugar and to keep that sort of addiction. Um, or is this really coming from like genuine guidance? And I think it's something, um, like this intuition thing. It's like a muscle that needs to be practiced, um, I, it's like, we all have the ability to be super fit. It just takes practice and how willing are we to practice it and to, to be consciously aware, uh, when, when we're following it or not. Um, and I think if someone has not been in touch with their intuition in a very long time, it's just starting with small things, you know, like, Oh, am I, am, where am I making this choice from? Is this coming from a place that feels calm or is this coming from a place that feels like in fear and I'm, I, I need to do this in order to avoid this or that um, and just like these small little small decisions yeah and maybe it starts with with what I'm eating or maybe it starts with um, who do I really want to interact with or um, yeah just starting with the smallest things and like it's almost like once we can 
start to trust that intuitive muscle that like it is telling us or leading us to the right things then that kind of grows and develops until it's something a little more substantial or solid um at least that's my experience how about you do you how much do you operate from that place of intuition or guidance i'm i don't know i don't know i i feel like i I don't know what other people do because I'm just in my own little practice. So. I don't know. I, I think I would imagine that there is some sort of a balance. Like <clears throat> certain people are maybe more in touch with that for, for whatever reason, whether it's, it's an innate gift or something that's been cultivated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think certainly a lot of people who do this work tend to be very in touch with that. And whether maybe even that's for the better or for worse, but like they have very strong intuitive senses mm-hmm. that, that guide them. Um, for worse? How could it happen? I'm curious how... Well, I think sometimes maybe that can be perceived as like for the worse, like like this person is really stubborn, maybe in a way, like they're, uh, okay. they're not listening to what everyone else is okay. saying because their intuition is telling them to uh-huh. do this rather than what everyone else is doing yeah. or saying. And I think that can be maybe perceived as being bad. Okay. Um, but again, if that is coming from a genuine place of intuition, then, yeah. then I would imagine it would be for, for the, for the better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think certainly yeah, certainly in, in my work, that's something that's a, a continuous process of, of really beginning to to trust in that. And not necessarily like a blind trust, but, but also a trust that's built on like observation mm-hmm. and, and, and pattern recognition mm-hmm. and, and failing in a way. Like maybe yeah. I didn't listen to that and then this thing happened. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly had that in ceremonies. Yeah where I didn't listen to that intuition, whether it was a dosing thing or other people were maybe saying something and it's like, well, I guess I should listen to that. And I think in that way, like we learn, right? Okay, I didn't listen Mm -hmm. and X happened. Was Mm -hmm. X good? If yes, then my intuition wasn't correct. If Y happened and Y was not as good, then Mm -hmm. probably I should have listened to my Mm -hmm. intuition. Mm -hmm. And in general, I, I think the more one goes into themselves. I mean, I think these plant medicines are a very powerful tool, but it, it's not one has to do that. I think one can do anything. Mm-hmm. One can be a gardener and like following that intuition. Like, mm-hmm. well, the packet says plant <laughs> half sun, but I have a feeling it should be full sun. Mm-hmm. And so I do full sun and they thrive. And mm-hmm. someone else who did half sun, they don't thrive. Mm-hmm. Or I don't listen, you know, I, I listen to the half sun and they do amazing. And the ones that I did do in full sun are, you know, so I think in that way, because it can also be very difficult to distinguish between like the mind, the beliefs, the, the mm-hmm. patterns, which we all have, and that genuine intuition, much mm-hmm. like the food example, like, mm-hmm. where's that coming from? Is it, do I really want that third Sunday? Or <laughs> is that something that's just, however we want to look at it, mm-hmm. a, a belief, a pattern, um, I think fear is another really common one, Mm. like, uh, you know, things that make us afraid, like whether it's, uh, I don't know, like hiking up a super tall mountain Mm -hmm. and uh, like that scares me. So, and then uh, 
like we have a plan like hey Paulette let's go hiking and there's a voice saying oh I don't know like that maybe something's going to happen uh, so is that coming from that place like that intuition of I don't want to go because something bad may happen mm -hmm. or is it coming from a place of fear like right. no I don't want to go because I'm scared of what may happen right. And I think all of those things, like it's 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 very it's a very fine line, like mm -hmm. distinguishing those two, and, mm -hmm. and and I think that that requires work, it requires trial and mm -hmm. error, it requires yeah, probably cultivating certain practices, yeah. and and really beginning to 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 listen to mm -hmm. ourselves, um, which I think is super important and and actually very difficult, yeah, because there are so many patterns, there are so many belief systems we have, mm -hmm. and and to really listen to that. Um, and, and it can be scary in a way, too, because I think so many are not just personal conditionings and patterns. They're societal. Yeah. Can, you know, much like you said, like with the, when you found yourself in a mental hospital, like it would have been very easy for people to tell you, like, you're insane. Uh, this is how you need to live your life now. And yet there's, you know, even with all of that pressure, there's something deeper inside saying, I don't think this is true. Mm -hmm. And... And it's 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 very difficult to follow that sometimes, mm -hmm. and and I think like anything that you know, there's there's a cost to everything too. Like mm -hmm. none of these things are inherently free, right? Like, um, you know, maybe as a society we tell women you need to get married when you're 18 years old and have a child, and and that's going to be your happiness. And then there's a lot of women who are like, I don't want that. Like that doesn't seem that won't seemingly make me happy I want to do a career and that's what's going to make me happy and that very well may be the case I'm sure for many people it is the case but then society could also tell a woman like child rearing is nothing there's no meaning behind mm -hmm. it it's just a system of patriarchy and da 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 <laughs> so why just pursue your career and then I've seen that a lot too you know with yeah. a lot of women who then they do that and there's like well maybe I missed out on something mm -hmm. um I mean, that's just one example, but it can happen to anyone. Like, mm -hmm. it, it can happen to a man. You should pursue your career. You shouldn't have a family, mm -hmm. and, and that may be amazing. Or, and, and then other people follow the family, and then they're always longing for a career. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, with travel, like, people are like, oh, well, I'll travel when I'm retired, and then they get cancer and they die, and they mm -hmm. never had a chance to travel. Um, but then maybe someone travels their whole lives, and then they missed out on something else too. So I, I think all of these things are really tricky. And, and, and again, I think it's finding that balance and, and, and learning, you know, because I, I also think, I think ultimately trusting that intuition is the most important thing we can do. But I think we find amazing ways to also cover that up. Um, to cover up our intuition? Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, like another example that, that comes to mind, uh, you know, again, like this, this may be societal thing that, that I think a lot in, in more Western culture we talk about, which is uh, pursuing this individualistic mm -hmm. pursuit, uh, pursuing career, you can live anywhere, you can do anything, and that's what's going to make you happy. And I think there's a real, there's a truth to that. But there can also be a cost to that, that at a certain point that may not be making us happy. And so these things change too. And, you know, to really listen to that intuition, but then also to recognize like when at one time what the intuition may be, may mm -hmm. also be developing into another belief system or another pattern. And that actually now in this moment, what the intuition may be saying is like, 
no, I actually need to go back to take care of my family or to be closer to my loved ones or maybe this work is no longer fulfilling me. But again, that can be very scary, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because this is now all I know. This is my identity. Right. Um, so yeah, I, um, all of these things are very tricky. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, certainly I think there are practices that we can do to cultivate that. Um, even in this plant work, like, like we were talking about, like the, the process of doing a dieta. I think that's a very powerful way to cultivate that intuition yeah. because you're cutting out all of these things in your life mm -hmm. and you're saying, okay, for this one week, these two weeks, this one month, whatever it is, I'm cutting out everything. So there's nothing to distract me. And then all I'm doing is I'm sitting there with me, myself, and me. Irene. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of a way out. Um, <laughs> And, and I think in that way, we can then begin to kind of distinguish, like, what is the intuition? What are, what are the mind patterns? What are the thought patterns? What is real? What's not real? Um, and I think that can, that can very much aid us in that, in that way. And then on top of that, if you add on these, these amazing plant teachers, which I don't think there's any coincidence why they're called teachers because mm -hmm. they actually help to teach. Mm -hmm. And, and as you described, you know, even from this like level of, mm -hmm. of planes, like that's why I think they're often described as spirit mm -hmm. because they're actually potentially relaying this information that's coming from this highest realm, uh, or maybe the, you know, the second highest realm or wherever <laughs> it's coming from. But, but there's this, there's this sense of this teaching that's higher than the realm of, of, of humans and, and our everyday daily thought patterns and mm -hmm. beliefs and so that's getting infused in a way and that allows us to see things from a from a bigger angle mm -hmm. and i think when we see those things from a bigger angle that also helps to cultivate that intuition mm -hmm. you know like uh i mean going back to food like for a long time i was a vegetarian mm. and part of that was a belief that that was that was a healthier thing mm -hmm. to do. It was a, it was a better thing for the planet to do. When I came down to the Amazon, I saw that one, it wasn't a healthier thing to do because I was losing a ton of weight and I was hungry and, you know, <laughs> miserable, <laughs> miserable. Um, because really all there was, was fish, you can plantain and living on, you can plantain was not enough. Oh, yeah. Um, so certainly physically it wasn't healthier. And like what I saw other people doing was like, eating imported soya products or wheat and, mm, you know, all of these. Mm. And in the jungle, to get that there, there is a tremendous cost mm -hmm. to that, uh, not just a, a monetary cost, like a cost to life mm -hmm. to, to bring all of that mm. into the jungle, which for me I saw was a far greater cost than the one fish I was eating. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, that was, that was killing one life. Mm -hmm. But these people... And again, I don't mean to judge them because mm -hmm. I, I think from that perspective, they, they weren't able to see it. But in their mind, they were doing something that was better. But from a, a, a wider point of view, there was a cost of life that was tremendous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wow. No, I feel all that. And I want to share in this, in this recent retreat, uh, the first after the first ceremony, I had this very strong, 
smell and taste of plastic um, like that was in the ceremony space. Anything, the buckets that were made of plastic, um, even like the clothes that had any hint of plastic, it was so noxious to me that I had to, like I had to physically put my bucket on the opposite side of the room because it was so strong and it stayed for days and still sometimes I get a whiff of, of how how it feels and um, someone asked me like, so so why? Like why is that coming up? And I realized that I have not been in touch with that aspect for this where I am in this perception of this physical body of realizing that there are things that are in alignment with it and there are things that are not. And I've been kind of, and, and sometimes um, not exactly bypassing, but like not being in touch with that this is part of my experience is the, the items that I'm consuming and interacting with. Um, so it was so strong that now, now I can't, like I had a plastic water bottle, which had a little filter and it was great, very functional, very practical for travel. I can't use it anymore. Um, because that's the information that I'm interacting with right now. And I think when I, when I've been asking myself more, it's not just about like what I'm putting into my body, but what is the effect of, of this on a larger scale. And one of the other projects that I currently have right now is I'm creating this tea business. And through it, I've been watching, how am I making decisions? Am I making decisions um, using manufacturing sources that are not so ethical um, and do have like an impact, but are less expensive? Or am I going to make the choice that is going to be um, in alignment for, for everything on every level. Um, and it's becoming more and more clear that I can't compromise. I can't compromise myself anymore, that I have to do everything from alignment, everything, you know, and that includes this experience of being in this form. Um, because yeah, it's like every, every choice that we make, it's like we have to have this discernment and it's more than just what is good for me as an individual um it's much more it's much more than that and um actually what you were talking about about all the different ways that we can um make decisions from and and listen to our intuition it reminded me of one of the practices that we had done in one of the more sort of advanced theta healing courses was um to discern the the voice of like you know that guidance or spirit where is it coming from and realizing that we can hear things and we can get these these little pushes that we call intuition but like to get even clearer and fine-tuned like where is this coming from um and so for example there was a point where both me and my husband we're we're both uh, we would ask our guidance about the same question about what we do together and we would get different answers and we were like how does this reconcile if we're both asking what we think is spirit then why are we getting different answers and the, the way that Vianna answered that question was like if you imagine like a tree like there, an apple tree say um, you might be one person might be looking at an apple another person might be looking at a leaf or you can have this wider perspective where you see it all um, and I think that's also true with how we work with our intuition. Sometimes it might be like, yes, this, this thing, but that's just really seeing it from this narrow scope. 
Um, but then how can we discern to be able to see as wide of that um, perspective as possible? And so one of the practices was um, to ask for the guidance from um, our higher selves, which was coming from like the fifth plane, asking from, uh, say, the Akashic records, which is in the sixth plane, um, or asking from directly from source and asking the same question from all of these different perspectives and seeing the answer that comes. And it was really fascinating to do that because then you see that when you're kind of like the higher that you go, more the most direct to source, the simpler and quieter that that answer is. And it's usually very free too. It's kind of like you can, you have the option to do this. It's very gentle. And so there's also that that discernment of like what part of our intuition are we listening to? Not that any of it is wrong, um, but you know how can we come from this place where it's kind of from the the that widest perspective? Um, yeah. So yeah, actually, something that's been coming to me recently is like the decisions that I've been making or how I've been framing how I want to live my life and do the things that I do, it's it's starting to come to this place where it's really less and less about me as an individual, about what I want, doing my own things, doing my own retreats, projects, etc. And it feels like um, what's coming is is stepping into something much larger than than me, um, and more like other working with other people in collaboration, uh, because, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And it's so true. Um, and when I think about how much potential we have as humans or as our, as in, in this experience, like we have so much, but so much, how much of our time, mental energy and effort is going to basic survival, you know, in the eight seeming eight billion people on this earth, what percentage of our energy is being used on just surviving, of having the basics, um, food, shelter, water, etc. And tying this to uh, something I learned from someone on Clubhouse um, was that Maslow's hierarchy of needs was actually originally... Um, from some indigenous culture, I don't know which one, where, um, but it was actually about the collective and not about the individual realization. And that kind of blew my mind. And I realized we've been so stuck in this individualistic mindset and also, you know, listening to our intuition or whatever, thinking about how can we do what's best for us, which might include like our family or community, but like, can we widen that, you know? Can we think about what is best for us in a wider sense? And I think that's just part of our evolution is where we're at, uh, what the kind of next step is in our collective consciousness. Uh, at least that's what's been coming to me. And, I, and I've been also having conversations with other people who are also kind of feeling the same thing. Yeah, curious. Have you been feeling that? <laughs> well, <clears throat> everything you said about, uh, I think that looking at it from different perspectives uh, very much, I think that's that's super important. 
And I think that's where like that gentleness comes in too, because Mm -hmm. like we can see it in our own lives. Like at one Mm -hmm. point we were looking at something from one perspective, maybe judging others for doing Mm -hmm. differently. And then we look at it from a different perspective and we may be then operating in the same plane Mm -hmm. from the others that we were judging from before. Mm -hmm. And I I think in that sense, like looking at it from wider and wider perspectives is is so vital. I think even in Buddhist terms, that's what they would call like true wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's like seeing it from the other side, seeing it from the other person's shoes. And and I think absolutely, like you said, like the, the higher out we go, it is more simple and it's more gentle and it's less firm, it's less rigid. There's, there's more compassion, there's more understanding. It's not so black and white. And um, I think so much of human suffering comes from when we have these very rigid this is right and this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there there can be certain things that fall that that that, that reside in those categories, but but I think most of life is 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 not like that. It's very nuanced. It's very delicate. It's a flow. It's a dance. It's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, without getting too political, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like from an American point of view, like you can see, I think even now a, a change of parties, even mm-hmm. like what we may have prescribed this party 50 years ago, maybe coming around. And now maybe the, this party who we <laughs> <laughs> described as the good guys and the ones for <laughs> compassion and gentleness is moving in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So, but if we, if we hold to rigid beliefs like that, mm-hmm. then it's very easy to get to get trapped and, and, you know, in a way that's entropy, that's death. And it's not the dance of life. It's not mm. that really important, I think, like feminine aspect of the world, which is the dance, the flowing, the, the, the nurturing, the not holding on, the mm-hmm. not grasping, the, the being open, the receptivity. Um, and I think that's something that, that a lot of us, we've, we've really lost as we become more and more ingrained in like me, me is everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes back to a, Part of what you're saying, like, like the me is always vital because mm-hmm. the the world is just, a, as you said, like it's a series of me's, <laughs> but that they're all part of of this commonality, mm-hmm. and so we always have to respect that me because that's the only that's the only way I experience the world. It's the only way you experience mm-hmm. the world. But how can we also like find the commonality? How can we find like what all of those things are, are pointing towards and. And I think, um, I don't think necessarily though that those things are like out of balance with each other. Like I don't think necessarily like sacrificing what is good for me is somehow out of alignment for what is good with the whole. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of like that example of food that I use, like actually what was good for me in that situation was also good for the whole. And, and I think... I don't know if I want to go so far as to say that's always the case, <laughs> but I think in general that is the case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like as above, so below. Mm-hmm. If if something is true on a on a broader sense, on a on a on a higher spiritual sense, then it's also true on the individual mm-hmm. sense. And if something is out of alignment on the individual sense, probably in a in a greater sense, it's also out of alignment. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes from. Is 
is again when we get lost in just that singular perspective it's harder to see it from from the bigger perspective but if we can we can actually see that those two things in general are in alignment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like you know what is good for me is also good for the whole mm -hmm. what is what is not good for me is not good for the whole mm -hmm. because we are part of the whole mm -hmm. um, I, I think a lot of times what we justify as things that are good for me like, like, for example, I think people often use, like, an example of, like, oh, well, if I pollute the river, like, that's good for me because it's easy, but it's not good for the mm -hmm. whole. Maybe, mm -hmm. but it's also not good for me. Mm -hmm. Like, eventually, when that water becomes contaminated, I'm also the one who's going to be drinking it, and mm -hmm. I'm also the one who's going to suffer. Um, and, and I think that's that's common for a lot of things. It's like... You know, we're not removed from nature, so every action we take is part of that whole, and and there's a cause, there's a consequence to that, and you know, as you said, it's a lot of that is about <clears throat> personal responsibility, which I think a, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. You know, I think you said it really beautifully. It's like, how can I hold that space? How can I also be responsible for for what's what's coming out? And even if that's seemingly like going beyond what I should do or what I need to do, or people are telling me, I, you know, that's, that's not my role, but ultimately whose role is it? Right. Like who else is going to do it? Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that's another, like one of these principles that this work really points towards is like, it's really easy to point the finger. Mm -hmm. Like my life isn't my fault. It was someone else's mm -hmm. fault. It was, you know. All, however we want to classify a human being it's somehow that <laughs> yeah and, and and again that's not to say that people haven't experienced hardships yeah. you know we everyone has and and varying to varying degrees uh which again i think is another really beautiful thing about plant work is no matter how bad you think your life is if you sit mm -hmm. in a circle of 30 other people you probably didn't have it the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably someone who had it harder. And I think there's there's real humility in that too. But mm. I don't know. Um, I guess just, yeah, in short, um, absolutely. I mean, I think that collective is, is huge, but it's not inherently... I think whenever the collective gets put above like the expense of, of any person, mm. that mm -hmm. becomes very dangerous too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even as we were talking a bit before we started rolling and maybe without going into too much detail, like there's a lot of that happening in the world right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like once you start saying like, we're going to do all of this for the collective good, but that comes at the expense of individuals, yeah. well, then it's not for the collective good. Yeah. You know, once you start mandating or murdering or doing anything to individuals in the name of a collective good, it's, uh, I mean, we've seen where that road goes many, many times. Mm -hmm. Cleaning my mind as you're saying <laughs> all of this. I'm, I'm imagining all of the death and destruction and all the shit, and I'm just like cleaning it, forgiving it, forgiving it, you know. All. Just keep watching it and watching it clean in my mind. That's. I think that's the best thing I can do. I don't know. There was one thing I was going to say, though, about the mm -hmm. pointing of the finger. You know, this thing of, like, when you're pointing a finger at someone, you're at three fingers are actually pointing back at yourself. Mm -hmm. um, 
I just, yeah, you know, this concept of 100% responsibility, it, it means everything. It means 100, I'm, I am 100% responsible for all the death and destruction. I'm 100% responsible for the Taliban. I'm 100% responsible for um, all the things that are happening related to the vaccine in any, in any direction. I'm responsible for it all, you know. And I think that's hard for people to see, but but again, on a on a bigger sense, it's like people always ask these questions, like how did this evil start? Mm. And unless unless we can see that in ourselves, then it's always going to start. Yeah. Like yeah. In, unless, as you said, we can clear that evil from ourselves, it's there. It's there in every single one of us. Yeah. Like any of us could have been Stalin or Pol Pot yeah. or the people who did that work. Like, why? Because it happened. There was yeah. millions of people who did that, and they were just like you and me. Yeah. And there, and were, there were people who didn't clean those things, who, who weren't willing to, to look at those things inside of themselves. responsibility, yeah. yeah and, and that's why I think this work is also so difficult, because it's, you know, a lot of us, we don't like to, to look inside of ourselves and see these things. Yes. yes. Like, I have anger, I have hatred, I have yes. judgment. And that... <laughs> um, Coming back to this, so that that concept of the Course in Miracles of like, okay, here we are, peace, love, happiness, in this perfect little beingness, and then that split mind that has created all of this. It's this is this is kind of the crux of of it all, and of all of the the root of all of our pain and uh, guilt um, that we seem to experience and project out into billions of others and all the things that are seeming to be happening but it comes back down to taking responsibility for of our choice to perceive in this split mind you know and it's like these splits all of these bifurcations in our consciousness that have happened in in any way first with this first original split but then also with every point that we've decided to say disconnect with our emotions or make a choice that's not in alignment these are all just these little mini splits from this one big branch of one split um but the idea is then if we can actually like kind of trace those back and choose again it's like instead of choosing to uh choose from to perceive the split it's choosing to perceive actually the opposite of that which is the wholeness and like if we can kind of come back and take responsibility for all of these little splits that we've done in our mind and come back and come back and come back to taking responsibility and choosing differently from that original split in mind that's that's kind of how we come back to that wholeness so I feel like we're on this on that seeming path of of coming back and, uh, you know, whatever way it may take, it doesn't, doesn't really matter how it looks in form. I just have that trust that, that um, we can all remember who we really are underneath it all, you know? <laughs> and that's such a common motif. I mean, even in this plant work is, uh, 
it's one of, it's manifested in a lot of different cultures, but there's often this idea of remembering who we are, that we've forgotten. And I think like you described, like it's through these layers, through these programmings. And I mean, even yesterday I was thinking, I, I, I took this long hike uh, up to Kancha Kancha and I was coming back and I was actually feeling really good. But I was coming downhill and, you know, most of my mind was like focused on like looking at the plants and uh, like watching the trail, like not to, to fall. And all of a sudden I started hearing this like animal screaming uh-huh. and uh, and I just found myself like starting to become really concerned yeah. and I started like running towards it. And I noticed like I stopped thinking about myself at uh-huh. all. Like it was no longer, you know, like watch the rock or like uh-huh. take in the trees. It was just like... And this wasn't an animal I knew. And again, like I'm, I'm not some saint or something, but it was just, it was this natural feeling that arose of like this thing seems like it's in need. And I just found myself like running down this mountain, like trying to find uh, this animal that was in pain because even that calling, like it was, a, it's to me, it seemed like a calling of like pain and, and like the natural human inclination was like to move towards that. You know, so I think we, we all have that in us. Um, it turns out, I think it was just a cow in heat. <laughs> and when I, when I went to it, it started looking at me a little funny. So, uh, <laughs> um, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, I also have trust because, uh, you know, I think that is, that's, that's who we are. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and it it is it's just that that really remembering of that and 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 yeah. in whatever way we can beginning to to find that yeah and really f- through the process of seeing all the things that are blocking us from it which i think that's one of the gifts of medicine work is like you can't hide from yourself you can't hide from 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 that through it you know i don't think so <laughs> So you you also started a podcast. You, you've you've got even a couple, maybe. I remember you told me, but you're doing a lot of things. Yeah, um, I have many projects. Yeah. Yeah. Can you maybe talk a little about those, if if you like, or sure. what what you're up to? Oh, what am I up to? Well, what I'm up to is um, I've come to this point where I can't make decisions alone. Meaning, like, it's not just me as Paulette who's deciding what I do, where I go. I'm really in this state of surrender. Like I've, um, I think especially around the pandemic time, um, I guess that's still happening. Um, the quarantine time, how about that? Um, I, I, I found myself, um, in the U S in where I wasn't planning on being, but it created this space where then I just created all these new projects. Um, and I'm coming to the point now where I'm becoming very busy, um, which is funny in the Valley being busy. Um, I feel like it's the opposite of what most people come here and do. Um, but it's to the point where projects that aren't, um, serving or not to the highest service, um, are starting to kind of fall away. And so it's, it's kind of like this, mm, you know, like, what is it called when a a snake is, it's not molting. That's what birds do. What do snakes do? Shedding its skin. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, 
so it feels like um, I'm shedding. It feels more like molting, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm shedding things that aren't. Um, not that they're not great, but just my energy needs to be focused in in other areas. But I'm doing it from a place of I'm just asking for guidance. Um, and trusting so much. And so it actually looks like we're going to be going to Colombia in a week or two, question mark. Um, we also just moved houses. Today's the last day at the old house. And so there's all this transitioning coming of stepping into something new, um, metaphorically and physically. And I was recently in the U.S. and I had this... Um, I was driving and I was listening to this talk and I just had this huge understanding of what it means to be living in service, um, which is a phrase that I had heard so many times before, like, oh, I want to live in service. And I think my old way of understanding that was like giving and kind of what you were talking about of like giving without necessarily taking care of yourself. And I did do that here for a couple of, for like two, three years, I was, um, uh, part of a project, um, where we were helping some of the kids in the communities. Um, and it was beautiful. And I, uh, went to an event recently of seeing the evolution of the project. Um, but there was a point where I realized that I was putting so much time and effort, um, into that project, but I wasn't even taking, I wasn't taking care of, um, myself and my needs and that wasn't in, in balance. So, you know, what I thought, being in service was, was, was that, but I realized that being in service is really being open to whatever the guidance is. And to me, that's like a, it's a moment by moment, day to day kind of thing. Um, and, and also asking like, okay, what is, what is for my highest good to, to do? And what it seems like it's coming to, as I was kind of, um, touching upon before is, um, starting to step into working more in collaboration. So there's, there are um, several people that I'm talking with about um, these new potential projects, which are more collaborative in nature and less about me. Um, so some of my own projects seem to be just, um, I just don't, they're not as important. Like I started a podcast during that quarantine period um, and I just don't have the time for it as much anymore. Uh, so I think that that might be something that I'm going to let go of. Um, I love, I love working with groups, um, holding space retreats, creating, curating things, um, working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I love, I love doing that, but I'm approaching everything from this place of openness of really asking like whatever, whatever I need to do. I'm willing to do. And even in this, uh, this last retreat, there was one ceremony where I only had very small amounts, but the medicine, um, went very deep with me for the first, uh, half an hour or so. And then I kind of was able to be a little more present with others. But in that, in that moment, you know, it's not easy working with ayahuasca, right? <laughs> it's not, well, I don't know if that's the, the word not easy or easy. That's not the spectrum I'm thinking about, but, um, it takes, it takes, uh, that constant letting go-ness to work with it in a, in a way, I think. And, um, 
there was a moment where it was like taking me on in this like journey and I was like, oh wow, this is right. It's not all, you know, fluffy clouds, rainbows, unicorns, always. Um, but the what the medicine said to me was like, you know, you said you're you're willing to do whatever to be in service. Sometimes it's gonna be like this, you know. And I was like, Yep, okay. And it's just kind of accepting like that what it means to be in service is is it's not about me being in control of what I'm doing. It's just about me constantly choosing to be open to be in service. Um, so what that means currently in form is I don't know yet. <laughs> but it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm on the precipice of some projects that are going to be bigger than me, and I don't know what they are yet. And it might be in Colombia, or it might be here, or it might be global. I don't know. And I don't need to know. And it feels really good to be in that state of trust. <laughs> yeah. Well, beautiful. That sounds like a, a great way to end it. And we're, we're coming up on three hours, what? actually. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever believes it. But, um, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a time. I mean, I could, yeah, talk about time and... Like when I, when I used to start doing sessions, I, I didn't have a concept of time and it, w it would be like three hour sessions. And then I learned that I could actually just say, Hey, just let this session take one hour and then it would be one hour. It always works like that. And I realized that it's, our perception of time is so fluid. Time is fluid and, um, it's not surprising. Three hours. I did say six. Damn it. <laughs> six, it would be dark outside. <laughs> well, yeah. that was wonderful. Is, is there anything else you want to talk about or touch on that we, we didn't get to? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I, you know, I, after binge watching, listening to your podcast, you, you always ask that. And it kind of it has this undertone of like, there's nothing more. I haven't heard a single person say, actually, yeah, let's talk about this whole other thing. The last thing. one, I think, Kunti, uh, yeah. I think we went Did? another hour after he asked really? that question. Because I, I could, I could If, if you want go to, into, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to go it. into it. You know what? I need to go to the bathroom. Let's have a snack. And then let's see what happens. I think it's, okay. it's almost like the second dose, you know, like <laughs> something else. There's another wave of something. All right. Yeah. Go okay. for it. Well, I, I do feel, I, I mean, I remember saying this uh, to a couple of people, like I feel if I never could work with plant medicine or do anything related to that again, I would, I would feel okay. Um, I do feel like there's still something to be done, which I, I have a very deep sense of, but whether that happens in that space or some other space... I see. Wow. That's interesting. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. That's really yeah. good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting because I'll just share about where I was at a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago, I had a ceremony and ayahuasca said, I have nothing more to teach you. 
And I was like, okay. I didn't expect that. All right. So I thought that was it. Um, forever, you know. <laughs> Which I always find interesting. Like people, when people feel a need to come back and like what that interaction is. Anyways, I was surprised to hear that and was like, all right. It was just like that, you know. But not in a bad way. It was just kind of like, it was almost like our consciousnesses were merged. And there was no more like teaching, direct teachings. Um, and then not long after that, um, basically in a cer- in in I think it was that ceremony. It was either that ceremony or the one before. No, it was that ceremony. Um, Ayahuasca told me to write a book about my grandmother. And my grandmother was a huge presence in my life. Um, still my favorite person ever that I've, human that I've ever met. Um, and she passed away like 20 years ago. Um, and, but that led me on this like journey. Um, so anyways, while I was in my own little writer's retreat writing that book, I got a message from Marta about, um, this Noyarao dieta, which have you, no, worked with Noyarao? I I know of it. I, I haven't okay. I haven't drank it. So she was like, "Hey, there's a space open um, for this Noyarao dieta I'm going on," and I had I had told her like, basically my guidance said like I don't need to do like a million dietas like I know many people have, but there's just one that I would need to do, and it would be Noyarao. Um, that came to me in in some previous ceremony. So it came up. And it happened to be someone that I had met five years prior. And so I was like, this is totally in alignment. Um, So I went to that. And um, I'll probably tell a whole other story about that because it's, it's, you know, it involves remote viewing and traveling to different planets and stuff, which is kind of cool. Anyways, at the end of that dieta, I, I was like kind of curious, like how many ceremonies have I had? And I realized... Um, including the ceremonies in the dieta, then it was like exactly 100. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I was never like attempting to do that, but I did find in, in an old journal where I, I, it was around, I had had seven, eight ceremonies and I was like, I wonder what it would be like to have a hundred, you know, cause I heard someone having that and I was like, whoa, that sounds crazy. And I realized, wow, okay, I guess I, I made it there. Cool. That's it. I, th- I thought that was it really did. And then the thread of um, writing the book about my grandmother led me to um, to going to the Philippines because that's where she was from and um, doing more genetic clearing and, and a lot of healing from my lineage on that side. Um, and then anyways, I realized that this book, it wasn't, it was never about needing to write this book about my grandmother for anybody else. It was about needing to find all the information in my genetic lineage to be able to heal and clear it, um, which I think is really important work, and that's part of working with ayahuasca in general. Anyways, fast forward, um, I ended up writing a book. It just came to write a book about ayahuasca, which I wrote in like six weeks. Um, And so I wrote a book on ayahuasca, Um, and I've sent it out to some um, some friends, but the curious thing was like one or two days after I finished that book, um, 
someone reached out to me asking me to facilitate a retreat. And I, th- I really thought it was complete. I thought my work with ayahuasca was done and I was going to share this book as a tool to be useful for people who are interested in starting to work with it or how to navigate it just kind of for beginners in a way. Um, and then I realized like, oh, I, I, it was such a strong yes to facilitate this retreat. Um, and I just felt like if I'm ever going to, after this like long gap of not having and thinking I was done, if I'm going to come into it again, it's going to be something very different and it's going to be for a different purpose. And so now it feels like I'm in that and it's like, this is something else. It's not what I thought it was. I don't even know what it's going to be. Um, it might end up serving medicine. I don't know exactly yet, or it might be creating something to allow more people to do this work. I don't exactly know what it is again. Um, but it's, it's, it's there. And, and I don't know if that's maybe what you're feeling for you, or it's like, okay, like you, you don't have attachment to needing to do it, but yet you're open to being in service if that's what is needed of you. Is that kind of where you're at too? Yeah, I think it was just, uh, it was a feeling that, um, because I've often heard people say, like, you know, I can't imagine not having this medicine, mm. or like this medicine is is my religion, and so it's always going to be a part of me, and and I can understand that, mm-hmm. um, but I think there there was a sense, uh, and there still is, of just if I never had access to that, I would be okay. Um, mm. Like I, I feel like. Not that I I will ever understand it, um, but I I feel like it's given me a tremendous amount, and if that's what it's given me, I'm I'm more than happy with that. Hmm. Um, and yes, I, I think very much in a way of um, I mean I think there are we all have different stages in our lives where we we need different things where we we serve different roles. Um, so I think in that role, it would be something I'm I'm happy to continue to do. But also, I don't know if, like you said, like who knows what the future will hold. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that will be like necessarily like a full time thing too, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a very particular lifestyle. It's a very particular. Mm-hmm. It requires certain things. Um, also, the work I do with tobacco, like that's taking up more of my time. Um, it's something that, that I can do on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do like when I feel that calling, it, it, it's something that, that is a little more fluid. Mm-hmm. And I also feel, uh, after, I don't know if I was mentioning, but after I went back to New York, I, I also felt very inspired to begin working with, with, uh, North American trees Mm. Um, there was something that really felt right about that. So kind of bringing this technology that I learned here mm-hmm. and incorporating, uh, the trees that I grew up with. And, yeah. and there was something like really beautiful. Like I just, when I was giving that diet in the forest, it was like, I was surrounded by these, like, I mean, it family. may sound funny, but yeah, like friends and yeah. family. And, and it just felt like so light, uh, mm-hmm. not like in a, a heaviness sense, like in a, an energetic sense. Mm. It was like all of these things were just like pure light and beauty and, and so much medicine that I, I just, I I don't really know anyone who's really doing that work. Mm -hmm. And, 
the the last interview I did with was um, my friend Ben, who he's doing similar work in England right now, mm-hmm. and uh, he said it really beautifully. And like he was describing that all of these trees in England were like they were just waiting for yeah. someone to work with them exactly. because that that knowledge has been forgotten. And uh, and so I have a sense of that maybe where things are are moving mm-hmm. more is. Uh, is is really beginning to explore that and and obviously exploring it myself because mm-hmm. I, I i i would need to do that myself uh, some more and then uh beginning to to offer that work and um so we'll see i love uh, that we'll see and but also you know as you describe like that sense of collaboration i, I think mm-hmm. there is something really beautiful about that and um how that looks, like whether that's feasible or possible, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's something I've thought about. Um, obviously, there's there's logistical things that would need to be worked out, and so I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I I think there's for me there there's a beauty in both. There there's a beauty in that collaboration, like even working with Marav. I, mm-hmm. I think there's there's a real beauty to that. There's a there's a masculine and feminine energy which. You know, I, I often joke, but I think in a lot of society we're we're moving towards this idea that there's like no difference, and mm-hmm. that that's not what I've come to see in mm. this work. Is there's a there's a really big difference mm. b- between men and women, and you know, obviously everyone can be on you know have different qualities, but but there's a there's an inherent difference that's mm. that's very I think well articulated in many archetypical stories and experiences about the roles that men and women have and the inherent powers, the inherent beauties, mm-hmm. the limitations. And, and I think there's, you know, there is a beauty of, of, of people being able to experience both of those, uh, energies, the, the, I think the more masculine energy like that, that creates the space that holds the space that protects the space and the feminine energy, which is the dance and the sensitivity and the light and, mm-hmm. and the beauty, um, so um, I think there's a real power in collaboration, um, and I think there's also a real power in like individual work too, where mm-hmm. it's just like everything is in a way that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. this is my work, and like living and dying by the sword in a way. Like whatever good comes from it, great, and whatever like maybe not so good, having to take responsibility for that and, and work to transmute that mm-hmm. to to something more beautiful as well so wow that's cool about the north american trees because i i know several people who are working in europe and like birch is a tree um Mm -hmm. people are tuning into and and others but i'm curious which are there any particular trees that are calling to you or yeah it was something i was thinking about a, a lot um oak willow Birch, pine, mm-hmm. poplar, sassafras, elder, hawthorn, uh, fir, black walnut, wormwood. Wow. Um, cherry. Those wow. are the ones that come to mind. So you have a big sequence coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I have 12 trees that, that will need to be dieted. <laughs> And would you do it through tobacco? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But when you say, like, if you need to continue doing medicine work or if you needed to let it go, did you did that imply tobacco as well? Mm-hmm. All of it. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a really great approach because it's, there's no attachment. 
You know, it's coming from mm-hmm. that fully integrated, like, solid sense of, of self, understanding that they're tools, that they're teachers, that they can help us, but ultimately we don't necessarily need anything. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and I think really being able to offer it from a place of, of like, is this in benefit of someone? And, and if mm-hmm. someone really needs it, then being able to offer it. Um, but not offering it from a sense of, like, this is what I have to do. Or, yeah. um, like, this is what I rely on to do. Um, and, you know, may, maybe it becomes a full-time work. But even that, I, I think, at least for me, I don't envision it that way. I think it's going to be something that's more like specialized for, for certain times, whether that's, again, who knows how that looks. Maybe it's three times a year. Maybe it's 13 times a year. You know, uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once every 10 years. I have no idea. Maybe it's only for one person. <laughs> wow. I, I really don't know. But um, Okay. So you're also in that kind of state of openness and, and uncertainty and unknowing. And so you seem pretty okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it feel like though you're gonna be spending more time in North America, or that's also unknown? I think it's unknown too. Um, I have a sense that that probably so. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even going back to like my grandmother's land. Oh um, my gosh! Where in Virginia? In, in Virginia, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that used to be a tobacco farm. What? All of those trees were planted right. by my great-grandparents. Oh, my God. It's a whole forest there. <laughs> so in a way, there's something about that that feels kind of resonant. It's like coming home in a way. Um, and, like, those plants are in the land. They were planted by my ancestors. Um, wow. So. That's wild. Yeah. That would be interesting. But again, who knows, you know, also in the time we're living in, there's, there is, I think, a lot of uncertainty and, um, yeah. Whoa. I was reminded of, I used to do this thing, well, as a kid, and I don't know if you, what your relationship was with the forest, but, um, we happened to live just across the street, sort of from a state park. So I would just go wander off on my own um, and just talk to the forest. And um, over the years, going back to that same forest, I would, like, see how the whole forest had grown and just, I think what you were talking about, like, that sense of familiarity, like, I definitely felt that, especially especially in this particular trail that I, it's like I, I remembered some of the specific trees, you know, and how they evolved. Um, but there was a point when I was living in D.C., it was like I was in the middle of grad school and doing some other work and many things that someone, um, one of my professors actually led me to Julia Cameron's uh, The Artist's Way and one of the practices of the artist date. I don't know if you're familiar with Julia Cameron. Um, I love her. And I actually got to meet her online last year. Yay. Um, but she does uh, a few practices. One is the morning pages, which is you just like take three sheets of blank paper and fill it up every morning before you start your day, before you think good brain dump, awesome practice. The other one, um, is the artist date. So it's like you set a time in the week put it in your calendar. You can't cancel it. 
because it's your date with like your inner child basically and you get to take your inner child on whatever adventure whether it's going to an art store something creative or for me I wanted to walk in the woods and bring my journal which I had been not connected with nature at that point I was just like very busy in my mind and school and work and stuff um and it was snowing and I just and you you can't bring a phone no interruptions and I just was walking in the woods in the snow and just like started to talk to the trees again because I used to do that and I would ask anytime that I was at a certain juncture in my life or had some sort of conflict I would just sort of ask the forest for an answer and then I would be like shown a tree that somehow would give me the answer like the formation of it like it was like oh should I move and then I would see like two trees splitting or some something like that whatever form it was it 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 was the feeling that it gave me the answer um of whatever it was that I needed and I started to come back to that practice of just going into the woods and talking to the forests and talking to the trees um and just, I don't know, you talking about that in North America, and I, I, I'm just reminded of that, and that how they're alive everywhere, everywhere. Um, and actually, it kind of comes back to about the spirit of the jungle, which I had asked at the very beginning, and I'm just curious, like, what does that feel like for you, the spirit of the jungle versus, like, the forests that you grew up in? Um, or, I don't know, does it feel like it's, there's a sort of collective energy about it, about that, those spaces. <laughs> I, I think we, we all as humans have the ability to adapt really well. Uh, I think we can, you know, you even think about, I mean, it, it's happened more in recent times, but like immigration, like people, I think, have an amazing ability to, yeah. to immigrate, to adapt, to to take on new cultures, to, to merge cultures. Um, but, you, you know, even often, like, from my experience, like, talking to maybe first-generation immigrants, there's there's still often a longing of, like, what mm. they perceive as home. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, almost in general, like, most immigrants tend to be, because it was a choice they made, like, they tend to be super mm -hmm. happy with where they were mm -hmm. and really appreciative. Often maybe they were forced out by, by bad situations. Um, but I think there's always in a way like that longing of like, mm. like where we come from. And, mm. and I think in, in this world, like that's manifested, that's represented towards like our, our primordial home, like in this reality, there's, I think there can be a, a very strong connection to that. Um, having said that, like being in the jungle is magical. Like the being in the Amazon is magical. I think many people can like feel that that it's it's alive and especially if, if you're drinking ayahuasca in the jungle i mean it feels mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. alive mm -hmm. um and as you said like even doing it in brooklyn like w working with this plant that comes from the amazon there's this sense of coming home mm -hmm. and i think that's something a lot of people describe is is through the ingestion of this thing that comes from the amazon it's like they feel like they're home and again, not in a not in a physical sense, mm -hmm. but in a sense of like who I am. It's mm -hmm. it's it's come home. Um, 
I think it's no coincidence that that plant comes from the Amazon. I mean, I think it's very much tied into that. Even there's, there's. A, I was talking to someone the other day, and like they were saying, like being in the Amazon, like it feels very comforting, very nurturing, like you're in a cocoon, like you're being held, which is very different from the mountains here, which like it's this expanse, you know, it's, <laughs> it's. Um, even in these archetypical things, it's like a mountain. It's more masculine. You're mm-hmm. under the sun. It's like everything is an expanse. Everything is open. The jungle is like this womb, this mm-hmm. this feminine, this mm-hmm. this darkness, this like nurturing kind of quality. Um, I kind of feel like the opposite. Yeah, and some people do, <laughs> absolutely. Like absolutely. the mountains are hugging us in the valley here and... Mm-hmm. The the jungle to me felt quite intimidating, like mm-hmm. very strong and powerful. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Anyways, so the question that the spirit of the the forest, I, yeah. I I think I think anyone, I think anyone who is open to that can can have a sense of that, and how they perceive that can be very different. Um, how they perceive spirit is very mm-hmm. much like God. I think it's it's very personal. Uh, we can perceive that in very different ways. Um, I think, but again, I think certainly through working with many of these plants, there is that common experience that, that people often point to is this sense of spirit of God, of of this sense of coming home, of, of, a, of a rebirth in a way, of an of a interconnectedness, of uh, uh, the barriers between me and you begin to fall away. And... Um, and uh, and and in in all of these forests, I mean, like uh, like my friend Ben uh, speaking about like the the European the the English forests. I mean, there was there was legends of fairies and mm-hmm. people speaking to trees. And um, like I was mentioning to him, I remember recently looking at a, a photo of of, of like uh, some woman who was like under the influence of, of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of like laying there in, in, in the forest. And I don't think it was coincidence, but she was laying under the, the toei plant, the, mm. the devil's trumpet. And that provokes a very powerful experience. So devil's and trumpet or angel's trumpet? The angel's trumpet, devil's trumpet. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's called both, depending on how, like all these things, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um and and I think that's something we've we have lost connection with is because we've we've forgotten like how to talk to the trees and and again that that's going to be different for different people like uh, you know th- that may sound crazy and and that may be crazy but but I think people understand that I mean even going camping like people feel different uh, there's this Japanese practice of like forest bathing. Why? Because they feel different. There's, there's, there's some sort of communion there in a way, whether we, we label that or think of that in exactly those terms. Um, and even on a really basic level, like, yes, the forest is alive. Like, mm-hmm. anyone would admit that. It's a living entity. And then if you really, I mean, even from a more scientific point, like as we study mm-hmm. like the mycelial mm-hmm. network, and I mean, I mean, every, all of these things are connected. All of these things are, are speaking to each other, sending signals. Uh, the, 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 the plant or the tree is, is exuding certain uh, chemicals because it, it's, it's 
certain insects are coming in and that's you know sending messages to other things to begin to interact and then a bird comes and that's different you know it like all of these things are, are connected in that way and um something else i was talking about with ben is this sense of magic mm. and, and i think that's something like so many of us have become really disconnected from and and that's why i think a lot of this plant work is so beautiful is because it, it puts us back in that sense of like awe um and like a real sense of magic that we mm. like I don't know. Maybe we can, but I don't know that we can get that from a computer. <laughs> I don't know that we can get that from a house, you know, something that's that's built with the hands of, of, of man, of humans. Um, in that same way of, like, looking at the stars of, you know, there can be a sense of awe, a sense of magic. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so I, the, the spirit of the forest, I, I think that's something that... that that throughout history, people have really have a, had a reverence for, and 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 getting back in connection with that is is amazing. Mm. And and I think I don't think there's it's a like just a correlation that like as we become as a society more removed from mm -hmm. that, this plant work is like equally and oppositely. Mm -hmm. emerging or re-emerging not emerging re-emerging yeah. uh, because it's always been there yeah I was laughing when you were talking about magic and awe because there's parts in in, in the Course in Miracles where it's actually like don't be in awe because it's actually like the thing that you want to be in awe of that's just who we are you know that's our natural state of being. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think that's one of the qualities of awe is yeah. is like when you were mentioning that idea of like the the ego split. Like when yeah. when are, when we are in awe, there's no me. Yeah. There's just awe. Mm, I like that. And then the me comes back, <laughs> oh. and it starts to label and. <laughs> oh, that's that's serious, and that's Orion, and that, da, 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 da. and then there's no more awe. Okay, so speaking of stars, all right. <laughs> Gonna get into the aliens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> aliens. Can't believe you haven't talked about aliens yet. No, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe. I mean, you've you've experienced some. I feel like everyone's had some alien experience at least, right? Might or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Have know. you? If you don't, if you don't want to share, you don't have to. But. I think again, for me, that's one of those words where it's. I think like. It can mean so many different things for for different people. Yeah. I think I like to just say alien as a like jarring, ridiculous association kind of thing, but yeah, I, it's it's much more than just the. Green beings with the black eyes thing. <laughs> I mean. It kind of is what we were talking about. I think anyone who's worked with plant medicines for any amount of time <laughs> would probably say they've they've encountered things that they can't explain. Um, <laughs> they've communicated with things that they can't explain. They've seen things. They've they felt things. Um, and again, like what is alien? I mean, mm -hmm. like 
our body is more alien than it is human. It's, huh? <laughs> what? We have more like parasites and bacteria and viruses, you know, more like foreign DNA, foreign cells than we do human. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like opening up our perception, which Mm -hmm. is something plant medicine does, is, uh, you know, just because we can't necessarily see or taste or touch or feel something with our five senses, that doesn't mean there aren't other things out there. Like, you know, it's... It was only when we developed the tools to see different spectrums of light that could we then acknowledge that there are other spectrums of light (laughs) before there weren't. And um, so, you know, like you said, like what is real? What is real in a dream space? Is that real? When something is under the effect of a a plant medicine and they're talking to a fairy, is that real? Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to dismiss that it's not. I think it takes a, it takes an inquisitive mind <laughs> to potentially see that hmm. maybe it is, or maybe it's just a, a you know again like what what is real and but when someone has one of those experiences like that's that's real for mm-hmm. them like they've they've uh, you know without going into too much detail again going because many of these things I, I was talking about with Ben and. He was saying, uh, I think he was having like a really, uh, I think this is the right story. Uh, if, if I'm telling it wrong, uh, just go back and listen to the, the last podcast. <laughs> but he, he was saying he was having like a really dark ceremony and and he was kind of like losing himself and and he, like he was being attacked and the, the shaman was being attacked and, and he just started having this sense of like this this word just kept coming up of love, love, mm-hmm. love and he just kept repeating it and repeating it more and then he began singing it and, and kind of like all of that darkness went away mm-hmm. and then he had that experience where as he described it like all of these spirits or all of these like fairies started like clapping <laughs> and, and like applauding that like yes, like what you did worked <laughs> and uh that's also an experience I've had. Yeah. Uh, Fairies clapping? Yeah. Like if I've like I found a plant that, oh. that like, oh, that's what its use is. Yeah. And now some people would say, well, that's just my imagination. But if that thing worked, where, where did that come from? Right. It didn't come from me. Yeah. Like it was knowledge that I didn't have. If it's being given and there's fairies clapping, then <laughs> that's a more logical explanation. Than like, well, like, what's the other explanation? I'm mad that I've never had fairies clap for me. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that, and, and that's where I think it's really important, you know, at, like you wrote this book, but but not comparing our experiences. And, and the, this, how, how, how did they put it? The, the words are just the two symbols, symbols twice symbols removed or something. I think that's super important because, again, like we can get really lost in in the meaning of these words and and things mean very different things Mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone, again, has an experience of God or of a spirit and then it's like, well, I didn't have that. And it's like, yeah, but maybe you had all this other stuff Mm -hmm. that this person hasn't had. And it's... (laughs) (laughs) So, fairies. Yes, I have seen fairies. They have not clapped for me. (sighs) Just kidding. Um... But it just got me thinking about, so like with, through Theta Healing, it's actually how I learned to connect 
and without needing medicine, by the way, um, to fairies, to elementals, to um, fifth dimensional beings, um, all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, it's not that hard, actually, to be able to do that. So yeah, I'm I'm not. Mad that I've never met fairies. I'm mad that they haven't clapped for me. And, um, <laughs> maybe I need to open up to them more while working with, with plants. Anyways, um, which is kind of like, I, I was talking about this before about um, how Thady Healing has helped with plant medicine. So it's like any, and, and beyond even plant medicine, but being able to interact with, with things that are beyond our spectrum of our five senses, it's been one of the most useful tools and actually one of the most interesting ceremonies like <clears throat> I had a group of theta healers and uh, an instructor for a class that they were mostly I think all from Switzerland and they, they came here um, and I set up a ceremony with them and it was really interesting because they're they're all so used to um, clearing things on a genetic level um, doing like seeing different beings, being able to to do so many things with the mind just through that tool, that bringing them to to ayahuasca was so like they understood everything that was happening, you know, like whereas some people in their first times and that was all their first times for some people in their first times they're like I don't know what happened they can't describe it, and you know they were it was very clear they were like oh yeah I took the genetic information that came from my mother's lineage my grandmother's lineage you know, um, very detailed information and and it helped me to realize, like, okay, that's been a very useful tool for me to um, use in different contexts, and especially uh, plant medicine. But um, somehow, jumping back to, you were talking about stars. Yes, okay. Coming back to this thread of these beautiful beings, which I don't need to call aliens. Um, <clears throat> so basically, uh, growing up, I always would, like, look at the stars. And I was always like, how are people not amazed by all these stars? They just, like, go to sleep at night? It, it boggled my mind. Um, but it it was always a strange thing where wherever I was, I would just kind of randomly look up, and I realized it was I was always looking at the same star. Um, so I always had some connection with that star without... This was way before people... I don't know. It was people were talking about star beings and star seeds and things like that. Like I didn't know about that. I just had a connection with the star. That's all I knew. Um, anyways, when me and husband did, um, we had a San Pedro ceremony and we were outside and we had learned how to do remote viewing. So we, um, were like, okay, let's just kind of play. Let's see if we can both, uh, bring our consciousness to uh, this planet, and then this planet, and then this star that I've always been connected with, and, you know, we basically, um, went to different places, or had our consciousness go there, and then came back and compared notes, like, what did you see, what did you feel, and, and it was every place, it was the same thing, which gave some sort of level of, like, confirmation, all right, we're not just fully making it up, um, so anyways, when I got to that star, um, that I was always connected to, um, it was like trees. And especially there was this one huge glowing tree that was, um, and it just, the feeling of being there was like home. Like that felt like home. And I, you know, I had read about the star seed thing 
and I didn't, I was just kind of, kind of dismissive, kind of like, oh, it could be me. Um, but I really understood like, oh, I, I spent some time here. Like I've, this is probably the most recent place before earth where, where I was hanging out in, in my consciousness at least. Um, and these trees were so, they had so much wisdom, so wise, uh, and the technology was so advanced. It was more advanced than anything I'd seen on earth. Um, and yep. Felipe, husband, also saw like the same thing, and it was really cool. So when I learned later on about that tree, Noirao, how it's supposedly glows in the dark, and then like hearing about the story of how it, you know, they call it like Palo Volador, like the flying tree kind of thing, and the story of how it used to exist, and then like the whole world like <laughs> flew away, um, it just fit the the narrative fit my experience and um it was pretty cool to have the experience here <laughs> to to match that and then to be able to diet it and connect with it in a way that it's like oh I, I already know you <laughs> I already know you but you know it's like a remembering um of some sort of the trajectory of this this individual's path over time, over space and time. Yeah. So I just want to share that. Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tree that I, yeah, I think a lot of people have had a really beautiful connection to. And um, I mean, trees are there. In so many cultures, yeah, it's like the tree of life. It's the, the tree that gives wisdom. It's the archetype between the, the connector between the heaven and the earth. Mm -hmm. It's the, the oldest living beings uh, rooted into the earth, moving towards the heaven. Uh, a lot of wisdom, a lot of teaching. Mm. Uh, Actually, Viana, the, the woman who created and channeled theta healing, um, she shared a story that once she asked a creator, um, like, show me the wisest being in the, in the universe. And she was shown a tree. I think it makes a lot of sense to many of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and one more thing about that, that time that we were remote viewing different places. So the, the place we went after my um, place was um, Arcturus. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of the Arcturians, these beings. Isn't that a name of a clothing company? Is it? I think Ar Arcteryx. Oh, Arcteryx. Yeah, that's different. Is this different? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Though they do make quality things. Anyways, um, Arcturians. So they're, they're beings that are somewhere around Arcturus, the star. So we also went there because, um, Felipe had learned a healing modality, which is kind of like energy healing, but it's using, like, it's through these beings, um, uh, which was channeled through a woman. And, and anyways, um, I have since learned it too, but at the time, back then, um, he had learned it and was about to start teaching me. I was still very skeptical about the whole thing. So it, um, when we came back and kind of compared notes about what we saw, it was like I was in a room with just one other dude 
um, one of these beings across like the table. It was like a conference room. And we were just telepathically communicating, like, and he was basically just, I had all these doubts about, like, who are you people, or people, who are you beings, what are you doing? So many questions, um, all my doubts, and he just, like, answered it all, again, telepathically, just because I guess that's how they communicate in general. Um, So, yeah, and then, and when Felipe shared about his experience, it was like a whole conference full of, of them. So it was, um, you know, like we were on a craft, I, I guess is what people call it. Um, but it's, a, it's a very interesting healing modality to work with. Um, yeah, just cause it's like, you know, when I'm talking about the different planes, I put them in the, in the fifth plane. So they're like, if we're as humans on the third, it's just kind of like coming from that other perspective. Um, nothing more to share there just letting people know that that it exists well if if people are (laughs) (laughs) if people are interested in in i mean i know you said the the future is kind of uncertain and you're not really sure what you're doing but if Uh people are interested in in working with you or reaching out to you? Or are you still offering yeah. those, those, those like modalities that you talked about, the theta healing and potentially ceremonies? Yeah. Well, I'm not at a point where I can say I'm offering any sort of ceremonies. Definitely not. But, um, in the future I might end up doing something. So, um, related to that, we'll see. Um, but the things that I currently feel like I'm doing our theta healing sessions and classes if it's in alignment, Arcturian healing and classes if in alignment. Um, I, I do many other things as well, but those are the, I would say that those three things, things related to plant medicine, Arcturian healing and theta healing. Also, I would say, of course, in miracles um, are the things that I would, I'm currently actively um, working with. And it's being in alignment, meaning like you, you have a, a conversation with the person mm-hmm. and if you feel that would be mm-hmm. beneficial to them. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone. Cause, um, you know, like not everything is for everyone or people are approaching it from, from a place of not aligned. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't need to know the, it's just, if I get a yes from my guidance, then I'll do it. But like, um, that's pretty much it. So I can send you links and or email that people can contact me if there is a resonance. Um, and I find that important, you know, like not just like, uh, for example, one of Felipe's mentors, like with, with ayahuasca, he, he's been working with the medicine 30, 40 years. He tells people like, don't recommend people to me. Don't, don't do that at all. Don't send people. I don't want that. Which kind of acts as a filter in a way, you know, then if someone really wants to, it's almost like the, you know, the master, like you have to ask like several times or like really show that you really want to, to be able to, to learn from this person. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel personally like I want to be advertising like, Hey, I'm doing all these things. But it's more like if there is this resonance, 
um, and it's in alignment and, and my guidance is yes, then I'm going to do that. And I think, I don't know, for now, I like that approach. Maybe it'll change. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, beautiful, Paulette. Thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Um, we did a long one. Over three and a half hours, maybe close to four. <laughs> Time. Yeah. But thank you so much. And we'll, we'll, we'll put those show notes or the, the, the links in the show notes. And, um, and I'm sure we can do another one of these someday when, uh, when you have some more plans and we Me cross too. paths again. And I have so now. many more questions for you. <laughs> so we'll do I, do, I do have a, a YouTube channel, which is Sacred Valley Videos, which is interviewing people. Mm-hmm. Um, though I cut myself out of it fully. So it's, it's more like showcasing people and the work they do. So um, I might interview you on there if you feel open. Great. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to. Cool. beautiful well thank you so much and uh i I hope everyone enjoys this thank you all for tuning in and until part two oh thank you (laughs) all right everybody that is it i hope you enjoyed that conversation with paulette uh it was a pleasure for me to sit down and catch up with her and to learn a bit uh more about her background the work she does and just kind of picking her brain so I, i hope you enjoyed that conversation As always, if you're able to support me and to support this podcast, that's a really big help. Patreon is a really beautiful option. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up. There's different tiers you can sign up for. Uh, It gives you back uh, some really nice perks, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. So that's a really big help to me, to all of the patrons, the people who have uh, signed up for that. Thank you very much. Uh, And if you're able to do that, thank you. That's a really big help. There's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. Um, Also now with YouTube, there's the option to join the channel. That gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon option, but it's via YouTube. And then as always, if you're not able to do that, Um, subscribing to the show is a really big help. So on the YouTube channel, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that may seem like a small thing, but that's a really big help with the algorithms, the subscriber count, which all goes into some magical formula of of how uh, big of an audience this show gets out to. And then uh, similarly with the audio version, going on Apple Podcasts, following the show, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. So I think that's it. Uh, my next interview, I think, will be with uh, Ido, who I, Dr. Ido Cohen, who I interviewed in a collaborative effort with uh, Deanna Rogers. Um, I forget what episode that was, but maybe it was like uh, six or seven episodes ago. So Ido will be coming back on uh, to talk a bit more about the work he does. And after that, I actually uh, I haven't uh, scheduled anyone past that point. But as always, I will continue to try and bring on some really fascinating guests. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you all on the next one. Thank you.
ってもいい。